2: Hum day family. Thanks for starting your day with us again later, the founder of the L.A. chapter, the Black Lives Matter group, will check into our classroom. Dr. Melina Abdullah will explain how the hijacking of the BLMA moniker took place. You know, people talking about Black Lives Matter and think it's just one group. No, it's not. So Dr. Abdullah will discuss how she became a target after exposing the illegal takeover. But before Dr. Abdullah, the Faith Brothers will join us. Before the Faith Brothers, Dick Gregory's youngest son, Johanse, will be here to get. but to get us started, financial expert J.B. Bryan is joining us right now. Good morning, jb good morning my friend
3: it's so good to be here with you it's just a great opportunity it's just as cold as ever on the east coast (laughs) (laughs) we have we have so many listeners all over the world though somewhere it's warm send us some warmness call in this morning just send us a a warm hug because because we're out here freezing to bring you this knowledge Yeah, yeah and i thank you for this opportunity
2: and we got the folks on the West Coast who have rained out, especially in Southern California. That rain's moving out to Nevada and, and coming east now. So they've been having rains for a while. Somebody told me they haven't seen the sun in quite some time now because oh. it's been rainy and cloudy out there. So we, we yeah. complain about, you know, how cold it is. But they mm. complain how wet it is. But the rain's mm. causing a lot of problems out there. But,
0: but anyway. Keep pushing.
2: Push, yeah, we got to push keep pushing. Let's, let's get it started yeah. this morning, though, because we're now into February. About this time, people all those mm. New Year's resolutions that people made, JB, they probably, you know, tossed them by mm. now at this point, especially when it comes to money, saving yes. money. So how yeah. do we re? And I want to talk also about credit card debt, because I see the credit card debt mm. is, is just off the charts now. This is what, this is what mm. they tell us. So if mm. there's a way yeah. around that, if you can explain that and i think it comes down to discipline even with savings even with the credit card handling your credit card great. would you say it comes down to discipline
3: great point it's everything is about discipline because credit card debt the issue right now is we're realizing that you're out of control um like you have no control over your credit card debt meaning your payment is not something that you can decide upon see When interest rates are rising the way that they have been, uh, until we get a serious reduction in interest rates, your credit card payments are going to continue to go up. The minimum payment required is like four times what it would have been two years ago, even if your balance is the same. You see what I'm saying? But just because the interest rate that you're paying on that balance is so much higher. And I hear that complaint so much more. They're like, my, my minimum payment used to be $50. Now my minimum payment is $200. So they still owe the same amount on the credit card, but the interest rate is so much higher. So they're compounding so much more interest every day because they you know, they were able to that, – that that credit card used to be 9%. Now it's 20% on that on that credit card. So they're they're they have to pay so much more to have that same amount of debt that they're carrying and that is the reason why you know they have such a large percentage of people that cannot afford to pay that same minimum payment that was well, not even the same minimum payment. Their minimum payment is so much larger and I had one person that called in that called me and they were saying that they used to flip from one card to another to avoid even having to pay payments, and now they don't have that offer. Like we were talking about last month, you know, those offers aren't out there as much. So they can't flip from one card to the next and get that six months without any payments and things that were used to be available before. So it's, you know, definitely a different environment, and wages haven't gone up. To allow you to have a whole bunch more money coming in, unless you're taking on additional jobs. So it's, you know, it is difficult. And so if you're adding money to that balance, if you're putting additional debt to that, you know, that can be a serious problem for the family financing.
2: All right. I forgot to ask you Are you broadcasting uh, live on social media this morning?
3: Every, that's right. J.B. with Carl Nelson, Google, um, any, wherever your favorite um, social media platform is. Um, that's why I come into the studio so that we can be everywhere so that you can hear our voices. Um, go to wherever you prefer, you know, and you'll see us streaming live. Right.
2: Definitely. Let me ask you Here this, though, because the, the, the question mm-hmm. I asked you about the credit card, a friend of mine mm-hmm. had a credit card mm-hmm. and he paid it off and his credit mm-hmm. score went down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it went up. Because he paid it off. That's right. His credit score went went up. He's, went up. And the question I tell him, I, I'll ask you, should he have kept okay. something on the credit card or should he have just paid it off?
3: Well, it's great that it went up. And he probably would have seen that same move, at least a great move, if he brought it down to anything below 30%. So if he had it, say, at 60% of the credit available used, if he brought it down to, say, 25%, even 20%. He brought it down to 0% of it used. That's fantastic. But if he brought it down to 20, he still would have saw a great movement forward because that's a positive movement in your credit score to have so much credit available for use. So so you're saying you know,
2: it's better not uh-huh. to pay it off to, to just to leave a little on your credit card?
3: No, it's always better, but for... Um, He's got it because he has a credit history. So for his stage, I'm assuming that he has a good you know, credit history established, so he doesn't have to really use it because he has an established credit history of use. But, so there's, people have different challenges. But depending on the situation, a person that doesn't have a credit history, they have to use it to establish history. But he doesn't have to use it because he has such an established history. He can go down to zero, and it's a good thing. If this person has only you know, been using a credit card for a year, they don't have any history. If they have the credit card at 100, it's not going to really make a big movement on the credit like it did for him, typically. But everybody's you know, situation is different. But for a person with a long history of using credit, and they have like possibly maxed out their cards, and they start paying down their cards. It's going to be a good movement for their score because it's like, whoa, they came into some money, or wow, they're doing the right thing. All of a sudden, right? It's going to look good.
2: Yeah, and that brings yeah. us to uh, ten after mm-hmm. the top. There, one of our listeners in Houston who calls us and says he had immaculate credit. He had 850 credit score. Is that Mm -hmm. something we should, everybody should try to get an 850 credit score? Does it, does it make Mm -hmm. a difference to the, to the lenders? Mm -hmm. If you have an 850 or 810, where's, where's the cutoff line? Do you know? Mm
3: -hmm. It would depend on the, what you're trying to accomplish because 850 is really more of a, you know, a ego thing. It really has to feel good to that person. But, you're gonna get a great, the best score that they have to offer, somewhere below an 850. If you go to the company and say, "What do you consider the best score to get your best rate?" Most likely, they're gonna say anything over 750. We're gonna, we consider excellent. Um, definitely over 800, they consider excellent. But what do you have to do to get to this 800? That's what you have to ask yourself because there's pros and cons to having these really high scores. You don't have like a person who doesn't have debt, is debt free, typically is not going to have a great 850 score. A person with an 850 score has had a lot of debt over their lifetime in most cases, and they have lived long enough to pay it off or pay it down. So they have all different types of debt. They've usually had school loans, they've had mortgages, they've had cars, you know, they've had credit cards. They've had had keywords. They've paid all these things down, they've paid them on time, they've paid them well. So there's time, there's good habits, there's good discipline, you know, there's low ratios of use. And so the to get those high scores there's got to be history and there's got to be low usage on there to get there. And there's got to be a variety of debt usage. So it does, it really like for um, me, for example, as an entrepreneur, I had to reduce my usage of debt because it was stressing me out living that way. It depends on the person. Some people it does not stress them out to live that way. I saw a direct correlation between an increase in BMI, <laughs> I mean, body mass index, and um, high debt ratio. Like you know, the more debt I would have, the more I'd stress out, and the more my, uh, the heavier I would get as far as like having to eat, having to you know work overtime having to you know just just stress and just even even if i didn't you know just stress is not healthy for me so
2: right. if I well, You know, relax. hold that thought right there, J.B., because we're going to take a short break. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you got some folks mm-hmm. who really don't care what, what their credit score is, you know, because they think mm-hmm. it's all rigged anyway. When we come back, though, I want you to tell us, mm-hmm. uh, what's, what's the best way to do any credit, not just credit cards? Should you pay the minimum mm-hmm. balance or paying on time? Mm-hmm. Which one is which one is considered more? How with the credit companies consider more? Family listening to us this morning, you got a question about money, You can reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone. Calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore mm-hmm. on 1010 W O L B. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM ninety five point nine and AM 1450 W O L for information is power. No, and good morning once again, family. Twenty minutes after the top of the hour with financial advisor JB Bryan. JB is broadcasting live across social yeah. media, and all want see uh, some folks. They have a chat room there, so if you want to be on the radio and you got yeah. questions for JB, she can answer them uh, right there for you in the chat room. I see some folks already in the chat room. And we got a tweet question came into the studio for you, JB. Before we do the tweet question, though, my, my question was about paying off credit cards or debt. Should you just pay the minimum amount or pay it on time? Which one is the, time. The, do the, uh, I guess, the credit card folks think is most important? You
3: should definitely, if you... Um, credit cards are not, um, therefore, paying off immediately. You know, they are a loan. They are, you know, you do not, you can't write off the interest. You can't, you know, can't take an itemized deduction for the interest that you pay on that. You know, a client was telling me the other day that she remembers in her lifetime when you could actually put credit card interest as an itemized deduction like your home mortgage interest. No, but that does not exist. So, get rid of it. We have to get rid of credit card interest as soon as possible. So, um, if you're grown and you're not trying to establish credit, you know. For and the interesting thing is that we do need to all establish credit at some point in our life because it's used even for car insurance and you know life insurance and things like it's it's just used to show i guess that you're a a bill paying citizen so you have these things but there's other ways of doing it now cuz you can use it for you can establish credit using your cell phone bill and other other things so you don't have to actually go into debt now for um to you know establish your credit so there's other ways but let's just assume that you're using your credit card to establish your debt make sure you don't have more than 20% ever on your credit card. But if you only can afford to pay your minimum, then only pay your minimum. But if you can afford to pay more, then pay more. But don't put anything but what you can actually afford to pay off on the credit card. So I would focus, if you can, on your debit card so that you are spending money that you actually, you know, have and just spend from your debit card if you can. Uh, That is the best way to live, especially if you have, you know, a salary job. You know exactly what you're going to make every month. You know exactly what you should be living off of. If you're using your credit card, you're spending money that you don't have. It is a loan, and unless you own a business, you cannot write off that interest on that credit card. So that you need to be strategic in realizing that you're, you're, that you're self-sabotaging by using your credit card as a person, that it is putting you into a hole. And I think that we're really, um, we're really we don't take it as serious as we should. If we had a chance to look back in life and we realize that the return that we're getting on our investment is so far less than the money that we're spending on our debt that we're not getting anywhere and a, a lot of people you know do that they'll they'll be so excited about all the money that they're putting away or putting into say you know uh, an investment account but at the same time, they're charging all these items on their credit card and their return on their investment because they're, they're not strategic in their investments. They're making poor investments uh, or even they took out a loan to make an investment, you know, or they even use an equity line to make an investment. And they, and they didn't and they made a bad investment and they still have to pay that debt back. It's horrible because they never take the time To realize that, so as they get older, they realize that they're broke, and that really hurts, and they can't figure out, like, why am I broke? I did all these investing, and unfortunately, I see it a lot, a lot with, and I know it's going to hurt a lot of people, and someone may run off the road, and please don't do that, but it happens a lot with real estate.
4: Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. ba da ba ba ba
2: Well, I got a tweet question you need, for you, JB. Yeah. Uh, 25 minutes after the top there, JB. Uh, Will tweeted and he says he wants to know how much to, how to calculate how much Let me read it. How much? Mm-hmm. I want to know how much money I need to calculate to, to retire. How much is there a, is there a, a formula that oh, the yeah. one uses uh JB if you want to retire?
3: Oh that's a, yeah that that's easy. Yeah, that um you could I mean there's so much, you know, software out here like that that's you know, a basic when you're in afroeconomics, you know, that you there are you know, uh, you know programs that comes with it, you know, that you just that's like, step number one, put in the goal, put in how much you want to have at retirement. It tells you how much, you know, that's what we start doing from day one. But you also could um, start with just estimate on what you're making now. And a rule of thumb is that you'll need at least about 80% of your current income, you know, for your retirement. So, you know, if you're making $100,000, you are going to need about 80000 for your retirement so if you had like a million dollars at retirement and you take out about four percent that's about forty thousand. so you're going to need at least two million at retirement to generate 80 you know and
2: then right i, and, and I know do. you're just using these these numbers are easy so people can calculate mm-hmm. but for the folks who just basically jb who live check to check you know those people are just yep. uh, struggling to make to stretch that dollar into that's five dollars right. what advice do you have for them I, I, is retirement a, a goal right. or should they have a, are they destined that's to right. work for the rest of their lives that's right what's up
3: well I think they should get in something like afroeconomics that's free it, you know I, I have you know my no excuse program and I meet every week Um, that at minimum, they should be partnering with someone like me, at least for the rest of my life. I hope that I live, you know, for another day, you know, but I wouldn't let me die without getting in my program and try. Um, I've been giving out my book for free. Um, You know, they can email me. You know, I'm doing as much as I can for us to do something. You know, in my book, I have like 10 principles that we should be doing that um it doesn't is nothing about your income. I don't require anything for income. I don't require anything about how much money you've got to have. But we spend a lot of money self-sabotaging and talking to people that tell us, well, you know what, you don't have enough money for me to talk to you. And you know me, this and that. and, and I have been, you know, doing this business for over thirty years. I've been an investment advisor, licensed. So we gotta kind of think like. Well, well, help us out here, then.
2: Well, just give about, us three of the yeah. ten. Just JB, just give us three of the ten. Or people yeah. listening right yeah. now, uh, that but they like can, they, they can, about, you know, right? they can do today or tomorrow. They can, yeah. they get started.
3: Yeah, like right, we're talking about right now is credit confidence. You know, is, and then the fir- first one is legacy, but you're talking about credit confidence, uh, you know, number seven. And then entrepreneurship, you know, number eight. And then even when we throw in the number four, which is the tenth one, our health, our health and how important that is in connection to our wealth. So even if you do have to work for the rest of your life, which is my plan, because I love my work, you know, that if you keep your health together, you can do that. You know, and what kind of steps are we taking to protect, you know, our health? And we, I spend a lot of time in connecting that in Afroeconomics. And we don't want to accept it. We don't want to believe it. But even when you're on Medicare, because you're 65 and you get this Medicare, your health impacts the money you spend. Because so much of Medicare is not covered. I don't care. You think you're paying 179, and you walk in there and you get to see the doctor. That's all you get with 179, because after that they're telling you you got to pay 2,000 for this, 100 for this, 250 for that, this and that, because of what we're doing at 30, 40, 50, 25, all of those life, those things. So we got to catch it now while we're working, so that when we're older we're not regretting what we're doing today. And I'm, this, I'm serious about that as anything else that we do. So these, you know, all of these, like that legacy, the step, the first step is we have to start thinking about why we do what we do. If not, if we just spend our time chasing money, then we're always going to be jacked. Up. We're gonna be going into debt constantly because money will have you constantly chasing it and you'll end up in jail because money will do that. But if you say, Okay, I gotta create a lifestyle that will create money even after me, that's what I think about every day. I go, Well, Afroeconomics has to be a form of artificial intelligence when i'm gone people need to be able to log in to my website when i'm gone and continue to select their portfolio this is their risk tolerance this is what i think about every day boom this is the afroeconomics portfolio that is most appropriate for them and it is running way beyond the next generation that's Mm. the first principle of afroeconomics Why are you doing what you do and putting that footprint in the sand for the next generation?
2: Hold that thought right there, JB. He's got Mm -hmm. another another interesting tweet for you, 30 minutes after the top of the hour with JB Bryant from Afro Economics family and if you've got a question about money savings or, or your personal account reach out to us at 800-450-7876 I mentioned she's broadcasting live all across social media and they have a little chat room there and folks are already in the chat room having the discussions uh, sidebar if you will on the discussions but I got a tweet for you JB the tweet is from Ed mm-hmm. Ed says my retirement is to try and stay healthy because I'm definitely hey, going man. to have to work till I drop. Hey, but I projected hey, that years ago, and he says that's what child support does to a person. Hey, <laughs> for man. people who are like Ed, who, who've got that's child right. support issues that are going to keep them working, as he says, through a drop, well, you, you're, you're, you're helpful for Brother Ed right there right now.
3: That's true. I mean, a healthy man can have kids. Like a friend of mine, he, he's in his 60s, and he just had a baby. So yeah, that's why his his social security will pay for his minor child. So that's to your his advantage if he had his child, you know, in his 60s. Then, but if he had his child in his 50s, he's SOL. You know, like he got to pay it out of his income. But that, you know, as you get older, the minor child starts getting a check from the retirement check. So it should supersede the the um child support coming from the other income, you know, or at least reduce what has to come from the income. So that's something to look forward to. But yeah, um, you know, it is definitely can impact it. But I did a workshop one time called Building Wealth While Paying Child Support because it is real. And I feel that men should um really be careful on realizing that they have to pay the child support because if not, some women will make poor choices and expose their children to unnecessary risk and they have to take it seriously because they'll get sloppy because they don't have any money coming in and they'll bring in men that will you know, expose their children to men because they need the help. You see what I'm saying? So you want to make sure you have that money flowing to your children so that she doesn't have to do it. And you want to communicate that to her. Look, I'm bringing in, I'm paying this money. So I don't want you to choose the wrong person because you got this. So my kids should be all right. You know, and then... So because it happens, if she doesn't have the money, then she has to go live with somebody and stuff like that. If that happens and you're paying money, then you should be able to go to the court and say, I don't want my kids in this type of situation because the money is there for her to be living in a safe environment. They shouldn't be in this environment.
2: Uh, hold that thought right there, JB. we got to take another quick break here. 26 minutes away from the top the hour financial advisor, JB Bryant. you got a question about money, your personal finances? Reach out to us. Our telephone number is 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010. WOLB and also in the DMV, Run-FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 21 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest JB Brian. JB is a financial advisor and she's broadcasting live on yeah. social media. Yeah. So you can check her out and you can see her, uh, what she looks like in, in front of the microphone right now. And, it's, and they have, have a, a sidebar, like a, ch- a chat room there. And folks are already right in the chat room and they're having their pr- personal discussions. But if you want to on the radio, you want to speak to her directly, reach out to us at 800 7876. Before we go back to her, though, let me just remind you, come up later this morning. We're going to speak with Dr. Melina Abdullah, she's the co-founder of the LA chapter of Black Lives Matter. She's going to explain to us the, how the hijacking of the Black Lives Matter moniker took place. Because we're hearing all these stories about Black Lives Matter, and we think it's just one unit. It's not. She's also going to discuss how she became a target after ex- exposing the illegal takeover. For that, though, we're going to uh, Dr. Uh, Abdullah. We're going to speak with the uh, Dick Gregory's son, Johanse, y- Dick Gregory's younger son. And before we get to Johanse, uh, though, the finance, uh, the uh, Faith brothers are going to join us. And tomorrow, Temple University professor Nah Dove will be here and talk about Black History Month uh, African Heritage Month and New York activist Charles Brown will also stop by and also civil rights activist William Ocasio-Riggs you know he marched with Dr. King and Kwame Ture he was instrumental in setting up Snake with, with John Lewis and Marion Barry he's going to be here when we talk about African History Month so if you're in Baltimore make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WLB if are in the DMV we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL so JB how young because you know the ed was talking about his child support but how young can we start teaching our children for me I, I don't know about anybody else but they never taught about taught this in high school and i think that's where it starts but is, is, at what level in high school do you think our, our children are ready to accept and process this financial in, uh, information
3: that in the financial literacy classes that now are required to graduate that they teach them or how to borrow money, and I think that borrowing is the problem for especially our black community that um borrowing that we've learned to um be like to represent as something that we're not like um almost everything that we have is borrowed no and and that's for every community but for our you know young people, like how do we learn um delayed gratification, or how do we learn you know strength How, how, how do we learn so when when we started like, "Oh, we want to keep up or we want to be like," or we want to you know we, we want to have what you have," or you know when there was integration, it became such a level of assimilation on a materialistic level. That we never got a chance to learn that what the the wealth process that everything that the that the white family had was a wealth process that we don't have that we just don't have so so financial services said, let's get them to borrow from us so they can look like they have what we have. But you can live next to us, but they can own it, you know, because they own it, because because they know the wealth process. So a black person can live next to a white person, but the white person owns the house, so they have wealth, and you are borrowing, and so you're making payments. But let's also let them call themselves a homeowner, but they're only a home buyer, and they're going to pay us, and they're going to and they're going to pay us these taxes and they're going to pay this insurance, and they're going to help us. They're going to help us build this this country on this. And,
2: well, let me and jump in here party. and ask you this question, though, because yesterday Dr. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taylor was here, and we were talking about voting, and he says, if your parents uh, didn't vote, you're probably going to be one of those who are not going to vote anyway. You know, when I was mm. growing up, my parents didn't have credit cards. <laughs> you know, they didn't. Uh, that, that's Fantastic. the generation we came from. They didn't believe in Fantastic. credit cards. If you can't buy, fi- if you can't buy cash, and you can't afford it, you do without. That, that's that's with, uh, the household that I grew up, and I don't know many of my age, uh, f- uh, grew up with the same Fantastic. household. You know, they didn't have American Express, MasterCard, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just Beautiful. wondering, uh, uh, how can parents now, because uh, we're in the credit card error right now yeah. what should, yeah. how should they teach their children cuz the the children see them with credit cards and go to the store yeah. and just you know they think it's they think it's money a credit card they don't really know that you have to pay it back so uh, yeah. again uh, why yeah. don't they sit them down and say listen this isn't money i've got to pay this back even though i'm putting it on a credit card
3: we have to learn to say no and i i've I tried to explain to my family that my daughter Knows a no because I'm an entrepreneur. So there's a lot of things that she couldn't have. And plus I was a single parent and an entrepreneur. So there's things that she just didn't have, didn't went without, but didn't know. But as she's getting older, she's realizing like, whoa. Mom well, let me jump in and ask you this. Was that yeah. difficult
2: for you, JB, when she came to you, when she wanted something and you couldn't yeah. provide it? Was that a difficult decision there to, to yeah. explain it to her?
3: Even now, even now, yes, you know, like and and trying to teach her now that it's a process, like you know that you can't tell me the day before tuition is due that tuition is due. I said, you know, when I asked you two months ago that tuition is due, you have to tell me. I when I asked you when tuition is due, it's because I want time for this, and I'm committed to help her not have debt like I did because I came out with debt, but. You know, I want also to tell her that that is a privilege and you need to understand. And then, you know, she'll get all like sad and crying and because I'm, you know, she sees it as though you're fussing at me. But it's very important to her, to, you know, I'm trying, I'm going to continue to be, you know, to put that in there that, you know, you're going to tell me in advance. And I said, and we're going to work this through together. These are big ticket items. I don't just walk around with this, you know. So the, um, but it's it's you know, that we have to just, you know, be comfortable telling them no and I and I and and I don't you know, because they're just getting to that age for I don't for from her where they're understanding that this I'm teaching her to understand like this is a big deal. These you know, these you know, you're hearing no. <laughs> you have to understand that this is no, you know, and that these you know, I've been doing this by myself a long time. You know, this is You know, and this is how it is for us, you know, and I want you to understand this, you know, and I think that we, as parents, we kind of hide it a lot from the children, your struggle, but when they get over 18, we got to share it with them. We have to share it with them, and I think that it it was time, like when it was 18, I kind of just started pouring the faucet on, that it was like, this is what, you know, this is how it is for me as, you know, a person.
2: <laughs> yeah, you, you know, and, and we've got a tweet here, for, uh, my two life. tweets, yeah. uh, and I'm glad you mentioned that, cause, and the one tweet says, the problem is the young people are getting credit cards at 18 with no job, Discovery, it's, uh, uh, yep. no job. Discovery is good for that, and and I can I can attest to that because in going oh. to college as a, as a freshman, they give you a credit card right away. Yep. It's like a two hundred dollars yep. limit, but you give mm-hmm. they just give you a credit card and they keep increasing the yep. amount as, as long as you keep paying yep. it off, without yep. people even telling you how, how to yep. manage your money. And, and you know, no. in school, in in college, you no. you, you got to eat. Sometimes you need books or something. You, you you're no. gonna use it, and and that's where no. it's, you start getting messed up because they don't tell you that you, no. you you're used to just being reported to the credit card company when you, no. uh, you graduate and you're trying to buy a car or, or a home, and, and that debt no. that late payment is still on there. So can you talk about no. that?
3: Yes, and the hard part for our families, unfortunately, is that you have too many families together or apart, that have different financial values. And I know it's got to be hard when they're together because it's really hard, you know, with a a family when they're not together, you know, because my husband left when she was born. So we have totally different financial values. And he is more like he'll finance things. I don't like to finance things. I didn't think she needed a car until you graduate successfully. You know, he wanted to have a car immediately. I was a hundred percent against it because I didn't, and I think it was a good idea. My father was like, "You don't need a car until you can buy one." I, I I didn't agree at that time, but it was a great idea. But she got a car going in, and I know it wasn't a good idea. So the but I I couldn't you know it, I was outnumbered. So the you know there you gotta somehow. I don't know how people do it. When you have different values, when I will say no. But you know what, let me jump in here
2: again, yes. JB. Your daughter knows that you have different values. So she, you know, the children are smart. They know how to work the parents. Yeah. They know how to work. They know how to go the weakest link, how to team up with the yes. one that's going to be on your side. And they do it. But here, here I got Watch another tweet for you though. Yo, <laughs> yeah.
3: He's the luckiest man alive. Cause he could just say, your mom said no. It's different. Right. Like, some men, they have a woman who, you know, wants them to spend money. You can just say, your mom said no and let it go. Like, I right. know my dad... A- and
2: you become the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly, exactly. But, but he, I got, got another tweet for you at uh, t- 11 away wait for the topic. Oh, it's his greetings. Will you ask J.B.? What she thinks the government will start to retire seniors early with the implementation of AI, artificial intelligence. That's uh, from Eddie. He says, will you ask JB if she thinks the government will start to retire seniors early with the implementation of AI?
3: The, I you know, I think that I don't know about the government because they don't give up much money, you know. <laughs> so, I don't know if they'll, like, you know, give them, like, some service years or anything like that. Like, it's, I've never seen it to anybody's benefit. Like, the government sometimes they'll, like, give people twelve well,
2: I, I think the implication dollars, is, JB, is that because you know? AI is going to replace so many jobs that uh, yeah. a, a lot of the seniors are going to, you know, try to phase them out and replace them with this new technology.
3: Yeah and I, yeah and I think we should be careful with uh using the term AI like we should just say automation. You know like I've seen clients like just be downsized just because of automation. You know cuz when they use AI like you know like all of the automation is artific- is computer artificial intelligence. You know um but then you know when they say AI I like the term more for when you're talking about it, for like media, when they take Carl Nelson's voice, you know, and then they use you on a voiceover, but you didn't really do it. No, I, you know, I think that I would love for them to say, let's just use AI for the arts and stuff like that, but they won't. So, but in business, I think we should just say computer intelligence or whatever. But, but I, yes, I think that automation in business is going to take a lot of people's jobs. Not just older people, you know, younger people do. Like, unless you are in automation. That's why I think that data analysis is going to be great. Like, I think that older people that understand data analysis are going to be employed forever. I don't care what your age is. If you understand how to get information and analyze it, you are set for life. That's the future.
2: Yeah. Getting it oh, that's all right. There, because we're coming up on a break, down. and, and yep. Charles in Baltimore has a question or a comment for. You. He's online too. Good morning, Charles.
5: How are you doing? How are you doing, JB? Beautiful. Good to hear your voice. Great, great. Now I hear you talking about money, and to me, money and debt equals slavery, because <laughs> it, actually, right. it actually is the catalyst to employment. And we don't understand mm. that employment and slavery are the same thing, so mm. can you explain mm. how
3: money and debt is used to keep us enslaved Thank right. you. yeah i Thanks, I agree or or like we use it to enslave ourselves, you know, it's like it's not really that you're a victim, you know it's a choice that we've made, you know, nobody made us go out there. Get this car that you can't afford, you know, and drive and speed, and then get a bad driving record. Now you're paying insurance on that vehicle that costs more than the payment on the car, you know. <laughs> and then it will say, you know, that, this, you know, that 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 you are you feel like a slave because you're working and you're paying more for that car than for the mortgage on the house that you're pulling up in front of. Because you felt like you had to have a new car because of because of the house that you're you know living in, and then you you know know that if you start your own business where you would feel freer at, you would have to work so hard, and you would have to sacrifice a lot, and then you might be alone a lot, and you you might have to you know live like Jv Bryan <laughs> and and be working twenty four seven and the, you know and. And then thirty years later, turn around and be like, "Oh, I've worked my whole life, like, you, you know." And and but but so. You know, some,
2: and Well, some hold that thought right there, like, JB. We're going to give you a yeah. little rest right mm-hmm. now. So, so mm-hmm. take a sh- take a deep breath because we've got to take a quick break here. When we come back, Chris in Silver Spring wants to talk to you as well. Family, you too can join this conversation with JB Bryant. She's a financial advisor. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. And also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. and good morning once again family we're on with the financial advisor jb bryant momentarily we're going to speak with johansi gregory dick gregory's youngest son about his dad's work in the civil rights movement but let's wrap up with jb we got a couple of folks who want to talk to her real quick on line three chris is calling from silver spring in maryland chris good morning you're on with jb bryant
6: Carl and J.B. Bryant, if you have young people that work, even if you have, because I had to learn the hard way, if you have these people, like if you have high school students or parents in mm-hmm. garden, I think they should charge, the, the, like if you have a parent, like a teenager in high school, or they're just mm-hmm. getting a summer job, charge them rent and, and make sure, and make sure mm-hmm. they write down a budget and understand. Because I don't want them to think that they have a lot of money to go out there buy. Oh, I have to go to the Polo Outlet. I've got to go buy the latest <laughs> pair of tennis shoes. And that, and that next thing you know, their their whole paycheck is gone. But if you don't teach them how to budget their money, they're going to think when they get their paycheck, they, they have to run out and buy the latest fashions, or they have to go out and That's get right. drugs, or, or, or give to their friends That's or right. whatever. They have to. That's like, you have to pay your electric bill, your rent, and you have to buy – you cannot go to McDonald's, Burger King, and Starbucks and then charge it. Next thing you know, you've got an outstanding bill, and you don't have any money to pay. It's very – That's I, right. But these right. young people, JB, you must teach them to – because if they don't budget, they're going to – like, if they're working on budget mm. when they get out, they're going to think they have a whole check just to blow up.
2: That's, that's a good right. point, Chris. I, that's an excellent point. You know, thank you for sharing that with us, JB. My mother taught you know, me
6: that, and I had you know. to learn the hard way. And I thank you so much for everything. All
2: right. Amen. What about budgeting yeah. for young people? That, that's you like an excellent point because they think once you know. they earn it, they're going to spend it all. They want to spend it all. You know. They don't believe in you know. saving any. But that's a good point. You know. Thanks, Chris. JB? You know.
3: I, like, I like that energy. And I think it, it's amazing to me is how many people have to kick their kids out of the house for their children to feel like they should contribute. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I wonder why they'll go and pay rent to someone else, you know, but won't feel like they should pay rent in the, in their house. And if we can get, you know, as he's saying is like, maybe that if that, if that's, you know, that's how he could create that, that it costs for everyone to live here, but they'll go somewhere else, you know, and, And help them, you know, and it's amazing, like not to (laughs) not to to be personal, but it just I remember, you know, in the last in the last um, in my last marriage that broke up really quickly, like it it broke up, you know, quickly. And um, I was helping him start a business. And so I said, like, while you're getting your business off the ground, you should do your business now because I'm taking care of all the bills. And this is a good time for you to go ahead and do the business. So he was like, cool. And then he was like, you know what? I don't like being married. So he left me. And then he started, he did like, he started renting an Airbnb. And he was paying the person, you know, like $1,000 a month. And I was like, just think, like, you weren't paying me anything, you know, but you're going to go and pay $1,000 a month to help this person, you know what I mean? Pay right. their bills. And he said, I don't see it that way. And I was like, but that's really truly what it is. You know what I'm saying? it's like, And we don't really think like how good we have it, you know what I'm right. saying? In our and Jamie, we gotta homes. keep moving
2: because we got Johanse uh, yeah. uh, yeah, on deck. Before we go to Johanse, yeah. uh, uh, Delano in D.C. has a question for you online too, real quick. Uh, Delano?
7: Yeah. Uh, I'm also going uh, to hey. have a question. I just want to kind of confirm, like reiterate, reiterate what you were saying as, as inform your kids yeah. about money. Like eight years ago, I told my kids, like, we got to stop celebrating holidays because it's just costing us too much. I went to them, like, you know, maybe we can put money towards something else that can maybe earn y'all money, teach y'all different skills. First, you know, they was a little held back. They kids, but, you know, they had to follow my lead. And over time, Mm -hmm. it worked out perfectly. Like, you know, three years ago, I was able to buy a house. Not outright buy a house, but, you know, I got one through on. So I'm showing them, where we're making progress. Well, it's all because I'm able to save money. I also showed them my checks. I showed them how my bills come out my checks, what what money needs to go to. So they're more receptive to me saying no to
2: them. And Dylan, right. let me jump in and ask you that's real quick. How old were the children when you when you started breaking it down for them like that?
7: Well, my oldest is 19 now, so they was like eight, eight and seven. Oh, okay. Because they they four years apart. No, they was, yeah, they was like 11 and seven. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, because it's so important you know, at what age good. they can understand wow, what you're telling them. You. And that's then, and
7: on top good. of that, two years ago, because I have eight, an uh, eight-year-old, that's eight-year-old that's son that's now. He's about to be eight. So he only celebrated Christmas one time. I've got in a position, you know, I, I make enough money now and I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur myself. So I got a position of where as though we we are able to celebrate, but I'm still reluctant because I see how much progress we had. So two That's years right. ago, we actually celebrated Christmas. I went away from That's it again right. last year, but, you know, I just don't want to make, I want to let me know, like you said, certain things are a privilege. That's and right. And some things, you, That's everything right. ain't for you in society.
2: Right. That's right. To
7: be able to create it, make it on your own, you can't right. do that. Then it ain't for you to have. And that's right. a good. That's a good that's idea. Right.
2: Thank you, Deanna. Thank you for right. sharing with that. We're rushing you that's because right. we're out of time here. I'm gonna give JB a chance to respond Same. to what you just said. Right. Go ahead,
3: JB, no, it's fantastic. That's amazing. It's Seven and eleven. What is amazing? What kids can understand and when they're earlier that they learn to appreciate, when they develop, you know, they have such a better. Sense of appreciation, you no, know, and maturity, but yeah. I, I don't know. It just seems like some people just are just have that spirit. But it is, it does have like what what you put into them really does make a big difference.
2: Right. You know, and but, hold on for a second because we got to run, JB. Seven after the top. They I got Johanse <laughs> on deck. Dick Gregory, son. So, how can yeah. folks reach you, JB, you want more information about finances?
3: Yes, indeed. Reach me at one eight four four 844 Mr. Johnson said that was a good dad. Yes, he is. Just like Dick Gregory, a good dad. <laughs> exactly. At the one 844 522 Yes. Good dads. Join afroeconomics
2: <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> JB. Right. Thank Alrighty. you. J.B. Bryan, you. financial advisor, Afroeconomics. Just Google it. You'll find more information about J.B. Thanks to all the folks who are watching, too, on social media. And now to say good morning to Johanse Gregory. Johanse, welcome back to the program.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
8: are you doing today?
2: Excellent. You know, we were, we're, how's the family doing, first of all? Everybody
8: good?
7: Oh, family's
9: doing amazing. You know, always remind people more than anyone. Um, the most important, Gregory, in our father's life. My mother, Lillian Gregory, uh, just turned 86 last November. She's doing amazing. You know, my, my mom was the exact opposite of my dad. So while the world knew my dad very 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 few people knew my mom um and so a lot of people you know now that my dad has passed say hey how's your my mom my right. mom's great and uh she always asks about you every time I tell her that I'm gonna be on the show so she sends her sends her greetings
2: well we send her uh, our love uh, to, to your mom' Lily and Gregory because every time you want to find greggy says always call it call Lil, call <laughs> her every time you would check it just she knows where he is because she You'd be anywhere all over the world, but having said that, because we're talking about parents, uh, Johanse, did you guys know how to yeah. work your parents? Because they know that like, children. You know what you can get from dad. You know what you can get from mom. Did you guys do that as well?
9: <laughs> you know, it's, it's 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 interesting. I was I, I do a class with a community based organization. It actually started out around financial advi- uh advisory and literacy, um, but now it's it's just a, a general class that I do every Tuesday. So we, last night. We were talking about from a spiritual standpoint, of, you know, calling on our ancestors and understanding our, the role of our ancestors. And I was talking about my dad. My dad was somebody who literally would do anything for his children, anything. And I, you know, growing up, you know, it it was such a foreign concept for us. A lot of what we're talking about the financial literacy now, that when we became adults. There were things that were a little bit foreign because our parents just did so much. You just had to ask. That was, you know, he came up with, you know, in such struggle that that concept of, you know, being a father, so much of that was tied to providing for your children so you know our mom it was probably a little tougher but she you know has the biggest heart on the planet uh so we had to learn discipline a little later in life because our parents they, they literally gave us whatever we were. I I joke with people but it, it's real not joke even you know when I was a grown man you know well into my 40s if you know, I had to be hesitant about what I would talk to my dad about about challenges going on in the workplace because in a heartbeat you know, Dad, said, hey, you need me to pick up the phone, you need me to call somebody, you need me to go up there. You know, that's that's who he was. That's who
2: he was. Well, let me ask you this too, because we were talking about Christmas, and you know, Dad was was saying that we should boycott Christmas. You know, he kept saying yeah, we should. boycott yeah. says but it's the hardest thing to get black people to boycott Christmas. So, was that a, a staple in your home? Did you guys have the Christmas tree and the Christmas presents, or, or was he was he faking the funk, or was he real deal about boycotting Christmas?
9: You know we overwhelmingly, for the most part, we normally did. And remember, you know, growing up, my dad was was home maybe about 60 days out of the year. Um, And so, you know, we would all work our mom around that. However, there were those years when he would talk about boycotting, you know, and from that standpoint, it, it really wasn't from a financial literacy. I'll tell you now, at this point, as a it said, it's completely about uh, economic <laughs> advancement. Uh, my children, the meaning of Christmas in this house, maybe at grandma's or their aunts, or, you know, some of my sisters out here, they don't know the meaning of Christmas. Um, but there were those times where the, when he would talk about that boycott from a, from a political standpoint that we had nothing. But, you know, the interesting thing, and I heard your previous caller that on – the interesting thing of children is is that they know what's put in front of them, right? And so, and and, and not only that, what we are, they and what we all, particularly with young people, what they really vibra- what they really connect with, is a vibration, and it's that vibration of love. You think about children; you can be children who've, who've who've had very little their whole life, and you can give them the Christmas of a lifetime, give them twenty gifts, fifty gifts. Are they going to be playing with a week later, right? But it's that joy feeling of connectedness that they're really tied into, and so you know, for us, that idea of what are we building? And I ask myself this all the time, and I ask you know those that I work with in our community, what are we building? And it's one thing if we were really spending all this money investing something. That was even going to be able to give continual joy, but I I, I challenge people, those who have these huge Christmas celebrations and, you know, give kids hundreds of toys or tens of toys, just stop and and note every toy that you've gotten and look to see how long they last in your child's life. There's normally maybe like one or two that will really stand out, but again, you know, for me the replacing of Christmas was based on the teachings of our parents, but it was more from a cultural standpoint, right? What are we holding up and what are we feeding into? And let's be very clear, and I don't know if you all were talking about this earlier, but the Christmas as we know it was very much a campaign, like uh, is around all of these other holidays to keep us broke and keep those powers that be financially affluent. Um, and when we're able to present something different, and we do that within our homes, but within our communities too, we we, we we start by raising our a different platform and a different understanding of what all of these holidays mean, as well as what real power and wealth and control look like. And that's something that you know my dad talked about all the time. What real power and control look like. It wasn't about money, right? What are we controlling, morning? And you probably know, Carl, there wasn't a single veg. My dad was never a pitch man for someone else. If you saw my dad holding something up, like the Bahamian diet or the Forex formula, you better know that was his.
2: Right. And hold that thought right there, Johansson. we got to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about your dad. When did you want to figure out when did you find out your dad was different? <laughs> when did you find out your dad was famous? <laughs> and and if your your children understand who the, their granddad was, I want you to share that with us when we get back. 14 minutes after the top of the hour, as I mentioned, we are got to step aside and take a short break. We're back in four minutes with Johansson Gregory. You'd like to speak to him, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, run FM 95.9 and a.m. 1450. W.O.L., where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with Johanse Gregory, is Dick Gregory's youngest son, and we're just as part of African Heritage Month discussing his dad's work in the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, so, Johanse, at what point did you figure out that your dad wasn't regular, that he, he, your dad was famous? At what age were you able to understand that? Yeah, but
9: you know, that's always interesting why people ask that, because remember, Carl, so I'm the youngest, and I was born a month before we moved from Chicago to uh Plymouth, Massachusetts. And and I often joke that when we moved to Plymouth, Massachusetts in nineteen seventy three, we entered the town. I mean, there were there were very few of the black folks there. And uh, on top of it, we lived um on a 3 uh, four, three, four hundred acre farm. Uh we didn't operate it as a farm, but it had been uh, a farm. So our closest neighbor was maybe a mile away, um, and so too. I remember, our dad was was gone traveling, for, you know, all over the world on a regular basis. So it really wasn't until so I had kind of this schizophrenic experience where you know we were growing up, normal kids, and and and, 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 and yeah, we would see our dad on here or there, or see about him in the news. Our mom was always. Uh, sure to do that and keep us plugged in with what was going on in the world, but it wasn't until I would travel with my father as a kid on my vacations, whether it was spring break or the winter or the summer, and that would maybe be when I was about eight or about eight years old, beginning with that, and seeing a completely different reality, uh, where, as you know, you know, even at the height of my father's fame, but even you know, throughout his life there wasn't somebody who wanted to talk to Dick Gregory that he wouldn't talk to if, if he didn't have time, if he had time. And so every set, step we're taking, you know, somebody else to stop, somebody else stop. And So it was really in those times when I would begin to travel with my dad, and I would say, oh, my God, like, this, you know, <laughs> this man is not only doing these amazing stuff, but the world truly loves him. I mean, just to, you know, see the, the throngs of people, um, associated, wanted to spend time with them, and then he would do shows, the lines of people lining up, uh, uh, you know, to get into the shows. And then when, you know, at the height of the Bahamian diet and going around to people that were, from a business standpoint, coming wanted wanted to talk to them to get business advice, who were um, uh, distributors of the Bahamian diet. So, you know, after a while, it, 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 again, our existence was really this kind of two-part piece. Now, for my older siblings, it was different because they grew up for a while in Chicago, um, and my father was a staple within the black community in Chicago. My mom would tell me that after he made it big uh, all the way through the time that we were in Chicago, even after he, would, you know, finish performing at a sold-out show at the Playboy Club, he would go out on the street corners to about 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock. Just speaking with people, you know, and, and that's something that carried over even later. You know, my father, the idea of celebrity as we know it, you know, walled off behind this glass wall of something we, we see and reach out to but can't touch. My father never embraced that, even when people tried to put that on him. You know, uh, again, when my father was the number one selling comedian, a black comedian. Comedian in the country, had the number one um, uh, comedic album in the country, never had a bodyguard. Not a day in his life did he have a bodyguard. You know, his entire, li- his entire life, um, our phone number and address were listed publicly. Uh, and so that idea of celebrity was never something my father embraced, even before he got heavily involved in the civil rights movement, and then that he actually saw how celebrity – was a hindrance to our folks, right, in a number of ways. One, because we wrap so much and invest so much into this idea without really looking at the substance and who folks are, right? Um, but then in addition to that, as far as the work that was being done, and, and, and he would point it out all the time, and, and we, see, we still see this to this day, when we've got something of some kind of criticality Within our community, it could be this separation, right? Who you hear called about that? We hear uh, on a national level, Dr. Greg Carr, probably one of the most brilliant people within our community today. No, somebody reach out to Charles Barkley. Like Charles Barkley is a scholar on anything that has to do with the understanding of the trauma and oppression of our people, right? Conversely, uh, with the war in Russia and Ukraine, have you ever? seen any national program where they called Tom Brady to ask him what the hell he thinks is going on, right? And so, um, you know, and my dad would talk about that all the time, right, that we as a community have to divorce ourselves from the infatuation with celebrity and truly be vested in creating not just holding up individuals, but creating institutions that are doing the work that our liberation.
2: That is uh, that is interesting. Let me ask you this though, because your dad, when we talked about this, with about Harry Belafonte, Harry Belafonte man, managed to s- still have his entertainment cred, but he was also a humanitarian. He worked in the civil rights movement. He he, he yep. broke did a lot of broke a lot of barriers. Your dad did the same. And, and can you talk about that, how he managed to still be accepted? Because again, you talked about Chicago, and for the rest of the folks don't know, Dick Gregory was the top comic in the country. He's one of the first blacks to play at the Playboy club. And, and then he decided to follow Dr. King when Dr. King called him. And he and and the, uh, Hugh Hefner was like, who's who's going to replace me? And he recommended Bill Cosby. That's how Bill Cosby got started. But anyway, Johan, uh, uh, Johanse, tell us about how he managed to to thread the needle that he was accepted on the the, the the comedy circuit, but he's also respected for the work he did in civil rights.
9: Yeah. So, you know, it was. I believe it was in 1964. Um, so about three years into my dad's fame, the height of the comedic world. And the governor, and this is issue all in and of itself, the governor of Mississippi at that time, and you can imagine who that would be in 1964, uh, cut off 10, those 10 of today, welfare assistance, to those, just those counties that were where SNCC was the most active, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, most active in registering black people to vote. So this is these dirty tactics and, and, and oppressive terroristic tricks uh, that were done to hold our folks back. And so this was done right before the holidays, in November and the uh, December holiday, right before then, leaving folks uh, starving, right? And my dad uh, donated of his own money, which was in today's dollars would have been the equivalent of about $3 million of his own money. And solicited contributions from celebrities he knew and folks all throughout Chicago to charter a plane, a a, a cargo plane, filled it with food, turkeys, you know, uh, vegetables, all of that, and flew it down to Mississippi, right? And so someone asked him at the time, I was reading a, 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 an article about this about a year ago, and they said, you know, Mr. Gregory, you know, th- these types of actions, are you worried about uh, your – your activism messing up your comedic career. And he said, actually, I'm worried about my comedic career getting in the way of my activism. Answer your question, Carl. That was never a question that my father entertained. How do I balance this? He saw himself and understood that he was a free man and he was going to do what he was going to do. Remember, there was a time that financially – um, that his career took a major hit. You know, as he got more involved in the civil rights movement in the mid and later, later 60s, he effectively was cut out, was, you know, was whiteballed uh, across the country more and more and more by folks not wanting to care. The other his, he kept his activism up. He kept going, in fact, when his agent at the time, in um, many clubs, hey, you know, Dick, if, if you keep doing this, this is going to get in the way. I mean, the, 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 the path that they had identified with my father was, you know, television shows, movies, all of that. He could have cared less about it. But what it was, let's remember, who were those comedians coming up, those top comedians? It was Bill Cosby who, as my mom would say at one point, would call the house daily to get information and advice and so on and so forth. You had Richard Pryor, obviously, behind him. And then, you know, so many of the comedians that we know today from, HD to Pell to Chris Tucker, these are black folks, black males, looking at other black males. They're not looking at the industry for saying, okay, we're going to sanction. Who are you going to hold up? These are folks who are... Comedy, very much like hip hop, comes out of a culture of rebellion, right? I'm, 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 I'm looking at the system that is and in these institutions that be, and I'm making light of it. I'm tearing it down, right? I'm not this. So by itself, comedy has a rebellious element that's that's part of what that is. And so the young comedians that are, they're not looking to agents and to the industry for direct. Direction. They're looking at those trailblazers that were amazing in their craft and allowed us to be here. And so they, you know, hold it, held up my dad, you know, to, to the day that he passed away, whether it was Dave Miller, uh, Chris Tucker, or Kevin Hawk, were regularly calling, asking for advice. The other part was, is, is that, you know, so my father in 1973, 70, for a period, stopped performing clubs, um, and that was because he was so into health, and he said, how can I talk about, you know, health and nutrition, and yet I'm performing at places that, you know, make their business selling alcohol, right? So he stopped performing in nightclubs, and that's when he became the, you know, he, he, there was always these, all these number ones in my dad's career and his life, but he became top pop um, lecturer on college campus across the country. remember about Three years after my dad passed away, I was speaking to the founder of the Programming Bureau that he worked with, American Programming Bureau, which is one of the largest uh, speaker agencies today. And my dad was really one of their few first clients. They built their business on my dad. He figured 365 days a year, they said in his first year of working with them, my dad spoke gave, uh, gave over 250 lectures over 250 lectures in that one year. So you can just imagine uh, the amount of traveling he was doing. But even within his political lectures, he always included comedy, just like so uh, known and broke the scene by including politics, particularly about race, racism, and segregation in his stand-up routines. So oftentimes you could go to a Dick Gregory lecture and dealing with stuff as serious as a heart attack, and you don't know, hey, am I at a lecture? I'm at a comedy show. People are laughing and cracking up so much. So, you know, by understanding what his what his strength and talent was and who he was, that wasn't even a question that he ever asked. Like, how do I manage this? Like, this is who I am to leave it. And these young brothers and sisters as well coming up in that path saw it and connected with that that real
2: you know, there. we're going to take a quick break. And I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, in his final days, you were right. All of these young people, Nick Cannon and Kevin Hart and all those that you see out there now, these comedians, uh, they were calling him up. They were coming to his shows. And, and, and I, I figured they were trying to fit, uh, do what he did, you know, still be have some social responsibility and also be uh, entertainers well, I'm still waiting to hear that the social responsibility coming from some of these young brothers or or' only sitting around and trying to get, get jokes or experience from Greg but I, I figure that that's what he said they were trying to figure out how to how to do that balance that you just talked about so when we come back we'll dig more into that family you want to join this conversation at 26 minutes away from the top of the hour with Gregory, St. Gregory Stig Gregory's younger son as we continue to salute or celebrate uh, African Heritage Month right here in Baltimore Ontario 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL for information is power. And good morning once again, family, 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with Yohansi Gregory, Dick Gregory's youngest son. We're talking about Dick Gregory and his, his work in the civil rights movement. You want to join this conversation, hit us up at 800-450-7876. Before we go back to Yohansi, I just want to remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with a co-founder of the L.A. chapter of Black Lives Matter, that would be Dr. Melina Abdullah. There's a story behind Black Lives Matter. I know it's been got a lot of negative press these days, but there's a real story is going to explain how a group or a person hijacked the Black Lives Matter Monica, and how after she exposed him now, she's become a target. But Before we speak with her, the Faith Brothers are going to join us as well. And tomorrow, Temple University professor Dr. Anar Dove will be here along with New York activist Charles Barron and civil rights activist William ocasio Ricks, who marched with Dr. King and also Dick Gregory. And so make sure that your radio is locked in tight if you're in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. So, Johansson, these young Turks that have... Okay. Hanging oh, around oh,
9: with, be, yeah. oh, before you ask that really quick and just you know just to show how you are the center of the black universe in this connection have uh melina on please give her my regards melina and i were at, just as she's a no surprise she's a force today because she was a force at howard as well and actually created howard's kwanzaa celebration and program and i was a mentee of hers literally i was a couple years behind her and she trained me up to take over the program after I didn't do anywhere near as great of a job that she did, but literally anybody who knows of or who's experienced something powerful, uh Kwanzaa celebration at Howard, you have uh, Malina to think about that. So please give her my regards.
2: Oh, well, did not know that. I know it Howard. I didn't know that uh, she did that with Kwanzaa, She's a remarkable young lady. So we're going to find out more about, you know, because Black Lives Matter gets a lot of negative mm-hmm. press. But well, it's a whole different story. So our family, as usual, we're always telling her, listen with an open mind. But You know, just leave these preconceived ideas that you have about people and things at the door when you listen to this program. Because then we, we like to tell you, make up your mind for yourself when you hear from for what the real deal is going down. But anyway, uh, these young Turks uh, that were your dad around they tried you know nick cannon tried and he went down the wrong road and then he had to apologize what is it what what are they, what are they missing that that your dad did so successfully he didn't he didn't run into those roadblocks
9: yeah I, and and first you know uh, shout out and props to all of those young brothers you know some i stay in contact with um and the the the, the pressures that are on um not just our celebrities, but folks that have gotten themselves into a position to toe a certain line is tremendous. So, you know, from Nick to Dave to Kevin Hart to Chris Tucker, I truly, truly love all of those brothers. And I think that the challenge that we see is not particular to any of them, but it's it's us as a community, right? We are, and, and not just black folks, right? Because this this certainly is that larger global vision, which my father and Dr. King were tapped into. In order, as I said before, my dad my dad understood he was a free man. He didn't just learn that when he became a multimillionaire, or, you know, a, a, a celebrated uh, comedian. From the beginning, he knew that, and with that, he understood he. Could couldn't be anchored or tied to anything. So let's 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 look at this. Remember when Dave Chappelle left the Chappelle Show and went to where, went to South Africa, right? What did they say? Oh, Dave's crazy. Why? Because he walked away from what a 50, $60 million dollar contract. So that's the first thing. They are going to try to anchor you with money, right? That love and fixation that we have with money. Then if it's not that, it's some scandal or some skeletons from your closet. So from the beginning, and as you know, the famous story of you know how my father got on the Tonight Show, uh, the Tonight Show with Jack Parr, it was by him losing to go on first, right? And this was at a point where he knew where one he was struggling. You know, I tell the story: my mother and my father were living not in a two-room bedroom apartment; they were living. Uh, on the top floor of a house where they had two rooms for my parents and my two siblings at the time. Two rooms, not not two bedrooms, two rooms. My dad was working two jobs at a factory and at the post office, and my mom was working at the University of Chicago, and he said no to an opportunity that he knew would take him from making $50 a week at the Black Esquire Club to potentially making $50,000 a night, right? And he did that because of the person that he was. So from the beginning, even before he had it, right, even before his career had taken off, he knew we about who he was. So often, right, when we hear of these folks taking a stand, and again, I'm not besmirching them in any way whatsoever, it's after they have $50 million in the back. Right. And there's that anchoring there, and there is that fear that comes in, not only when you don't have it, and you want it, but now you have it and you don't want to lose that. So you have to be truly liberated and free. The other aspect of it was there. So so he could never be controlled by money. And there were never these scandals that came out that becomes the true part. And I've talked about this on the show before, Carl, where. The strongest superpower that my father had and talent that he had wasn't a comedian, wasn't a business person, you know, it wasn't a this. It was his in-touch and intuitiveness with spirit and spirituality. That's what defined Nick Gregory to those who knew him the most and the best. And so that superpower, understanding that you know, the, the the true power of the universe, understanding universe law, spending, and not just and, and saying it and thinking it, but spending time, you know, there'd be times, and it'd be weird for us sometimes, as children, you know, you, you asked me earlier about how it was growing up, there would be times when our father wouldn't talk to us because he was on a speaking fast, you know, people knew about his food fasts and hunger strikes, there would be times that he would spend, you know, an entire weekend in meditation where he would say a thing, right? And so he was somebody who truly, truly, truly vested incredible time in tapping into that inner core spirit. And literally, wherever he was around the world, from, you know, some uh, 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 indigenous communities in West Africa to indigenous nations here in the American Southwest, he would always tap into leaders. and, and, and study and practice and delve in. And so, one, you know, not allowing yourself to be controlled by money. So now, that 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 point, I don't care how much you're offering. If I was willing all the way before I even had it, you can't control me there. And then, so that to understand not just my presence where we are in our in our in our Pan African struggle struggle and our global human struggle, but truly in the universe. And he would say that all the time. You know, even in dealing with the problems that we're dealing with it that we're dealing with. and we look at the the horrible ravages, not just of slavery instead of colonialism, but institutional racism, white supremacy, something we've been dealing with for over a millennia, he would say, how does that even register as a, as a ripple in the time of the universe, right? We have to put things into perspective. And, you know, it reminds me of a, of a quote, one of my favorite quotes from uh, – mouth, he would say, people can only look as far forward as they can look as far backward. My father, when he looked, it was endless. When he would look on that spiritual uh, uh, universal timeline, it was literally endless. And, you know, anybody, and I'm sure you have stories of your own, but anybody who spent time with my dad, I mean, the number of stories for, of spiritual phenomena that we cannot explain. it was a point where he had done not a three-day fast um, uh, for, for world peace, and it was something that was particularly newsworthy. It wasn't the time when he was in Iran, but it was particularly newsworthy, and I think he was then uh, coming out of um, a church because he entered the fast, he was at a black church, and it was a huge news event, prayer, and everybody who came out of that church when they stepped out of that church saw this amazing star in the middle of the day shining down. Nobody who hadn't been in the church couldn't see it. I mean, and this was stuff, this was, this was regular phenomenon if you spit and ran around with big records.
2: Yeah, 10 away from the top of the hour. Keith is joined us. I think that's one of uh, your dad's assistants uh, on line one. Good morning, Keith.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
10: Good morning, Brother Carl and our brother Yohante. I just want to say good morning, and God bless uh, your listening audience. Man, I'm just overwhelmed to hear Brother Yohante on the radio, who absolutely nailed the true essence of his dad between, uh, on your last question to him, um, the difference between these modern-day uh, young young activists and all like that, and whom we all respect, because when Yohante called the roll, I respect all those young brothers, but Johansé truly nailed it because the whole key, in essence, as I know it, is that, uh, as Johansé said, Brother Gregory was not controlled by money. He wasn't dictated, the same uh, same way he pointed out when um, Brother Dave Chappelle uh, left to go to Africa. And the second thing that, um, and and on that note, we all know that Brother Gregory wasn't uh, He was unbought and unbossed and then finally i just because i Johansson has captured the whole true essence of his dad but but uh uh the the thing that i wanted to say which uh, further dramatized what Johansson was saying His dad was tied into a universal guard force before Brother Gregory would even start his day. And I'm so familiar with Johansson. He said he'd go days on a fast and didn't really wouldn't even speak. It was, you know, just a a ritual that he did. And then finally, if I personally could capture Dick Gregory in 10 words or less, I would say our brother Gregory uh, truly, Walk with God before he would start his day and put his shoes on to leave the house. He had things he do to get his mind right, and he, and I could truly say he walked with God every day. We were certainly certainly blessed with Brother Gregory's presence because to me he was a walking walking library, as we all know, a walking university. And very rare did I see him pull out a pencil or a paper. I've never seen a brilliant mind like that. And, and I was just constantly amazed for 19 years, and then finally we all can spellbind by, by hanse And I'm saying it's in this DNA because if you grow up with nine brothers and sisters, if you sitting around the breakfast table and you four or five years old, you got to move quick to get those biscuits before they pass around the table because <laughs> your brothers and sisters are, they they ain't give you no special. Uh, thing to grab that biscuit. So Johante outside of coming to from two darling great parents, he had the benefit of growing up with nine other siblings. And you know when you are in house your brothers and sisters keep it real. So I'm contented that on top of that, Yohante's brilliance comes from growing up in that environment. And a lot of times we need to value our own Black families because we have uh, wisdom in each in our family. So that's all I want to add to it. Thank you guys for keeping Brother Gregory's spirit alive. And, and, uh, and, and of course, y'all know how I feel about you both. God bless you. All
2: right. Thanks, Keith. Yonti, you want to respond to anything that Keith said?
9: You know, again, for those who didn't know my father up close and personal and just saw the what you wouldn't know was those things that mattered most. And, you know, they may have heard it in a speech, but the thing that my father said more than anything, and you can go on YouTube right now and see some, some angry letters in him, you know, laying it out, things that either people didn't believe that had come true from years ago to even more recently, and fiery, and he always had that passion. But more than anything, my father knew that at the center of the universe it was love. God is love, and so what he would say. The most important thing is being lovable, and with that, there was nothing that mattered more to my dad than the loyalty of relationships, loving friendships, and the love that not only he had, but my mom had, and our entire family have, for the Keith, for Keith Silva, and so many others was the foundation of who our dad was. You know, again, he would bend over backwards to be able to here and do something for you, for Keith, for those that were close to him, more than he could think twice about a celebrity piece. The number of big money or entertainment events that my dad walked away from, and, you know, Keith, uh, I wish he could sh- share this story just to just to just to, to resonate about what you asked about, Carl, about how did my dad stay, you know. Um, um, not get sucked in like these others and just to show how little that money meant to him. Keith told me a story um, on my dad's birthday last year.
2: Hold that story right there, uh, Johansson, because we're going to take a quick break. I'd like to tell a story on the other side, and the Faith Brothers are going to join us as well. Six away from the Top They Are family. You want to join this discussion, reach out to us. You know the number, 800-450-7876. You're calling four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. And good morning family. It's a minute after it's half of the hour with Hanse Gregory, D. Gregory's younger son. Faith brothers are on deck. We'll get to them momentarily. Let's wrap up with Johanse. So Hanse I'm let you tell this story before you go.
9: Yeah, so just saying that there was one point, um uh years close to my my, my father's later years, and he was meeting with uh, uh some big big money folks around a potential nutritional product uh and keith as always was the case was bringing them to the meeting um and again this was a deal that would have been well over 50 million dollars and uh when my dad came in they were meeting at some hotel somewhere keith came in with him and immediately these folks up and said oh you know who is this you know we weren't mr Gregory. we don't know who this person is and he can't be with us and keith was saying as he was getting ready to walk out my dad grabbed him, said, don't go anywhere. He said, wait, you meet with me, and you ask him who this is with me? And without even giving them a chance to try to explain, he turned around and walked right out of there. That, again, shows the fact he could care less about money over the spiritual principle that he valued and friendship was core in that. And, and Keith just said, hey, you know, no problem, Dick. I have no problem. He said, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, you know, and speaking of, you know, we, we couldn't end without mentioning here, particularly with Black History Month and talking about what my dad truly valued and friends, without the Giving honor and praise and holding up the spirit of Joe Madison, you know, uh, Black Eagle, not only amazing historical figure and history maker in his own right, but again, another true, dear and beloved friend of my dad. And we'd be on here for another hour, Carl, if I was relaying some of the stories of uh, (laughs) some of the war stories of my father over the years of, you know, being on the front lines, fighting against so many issues uh, that plagued our community and working together. To bring those to our attention, like you're doing now, you know, the, the role that black media and that black radio and that show did for years, bringing things to not only our people's attention, but to the world's attention that would have easily been swept under the rug. You know, Joe played a, a, a pivotal role with my dad. And exposing so much about the crack cocaine epidemic and the government's involvement, the CIA's involvement, as it related to try to decimate our community. So truly, 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 uh, love Joe, holding up his wife in prayer, peace and comfort. And just you know, we 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 have to honor our history makers. And you know, Joe is one of our most recent ancestors. Uh, we love and value. And and for those young folks who may not be familiar. Please do a little research during this month um, and check out who Joe Madison was and just how, how powerful he was, you know, up until close to the day that he died of being that strong voice uh, for black information and media.
2: I right, concur. Thank you, Johanse. And thank you and your family for sharing your dad with us and sharing your dad with the world, because I know the times you spent with us is time away from you. So I want to thank you for sharing those stories. You mentioned we could go on for hours talking about your dad, but thank you again, Johanse. And please say hi to the rest Always of the family.
9: Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Please remember to give my regards to uh, Melina when you have her on.
2: Uh, yes, I will. She's coming back following the Faith Brothers. Thank you. That's Johanse Gregory, Dick Gregory's youngest son, and gets him some war stories about Dick Gregory and the Civil Rights Movement. Let's turn our attention now to the Faith Brothers. Good morning, uh, Dr., uh, Dr. J. Edmonds and also Pastor Kerwin Manning. Good morning. Welcome to the program.
1: Good morning. Good morning, Brother Carl. Good morning to all the listeners.
2: All right. That, that, that's Pastor Manning. So, Pastor Manning, I'm going to because we want to talk about forgiveness here. I want to talk about forgiveness in, in, the, in the context of, you know, Dr. Frances Chris Wilson said for us at some point, it's, a, it's sort of an illness. And she was referring to when they shot up the, the, the church in, in Charleston how mm-hmm. quickly our, our people were to forgive the young man who shot up the church and killed the members of the church. She says that's some sort of a, that's some illness that black people have. We were so quick to forgive our oppressors. Uh, explain to me, is she correct? What is true forgiveness? Is, is, the, do we, is, it, is it an illness? She says we give them a pass when, when they treat us horribly like that. So they mow down our, our members in a church, and we turn around and say we're sorry. We forgive them. They don't know what they do. Explain that for us. How do you see it?
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
4: McDonald's is not new to chicken.
1: Yeah, well well I I again I'm so honored to be on the show with you. You know you are one of my heroes um in journalism and media and just, just having this platform is an amazing um opportunity. Um and to share the gospel. Um I, I think I understand and I'm tracking with what um the quote is saying. However, um forgiveness first of all is is releasing or freeing someone, um on on from from on the part of the creditor the one who's offended so um i think it would be the slap in the face would be to to those family members who have made a decision to not allow the sin um and the, the the terrible actions of someone hold them hostage all of their lives so forgiveness i believe um needs to be swift because it can also unforgiveness can be so toxic to our souls. So it, it's not um, forgiveness is is different than a pass, right? A pass is just um, no consequences, um, no repercussions. But the Bible tells us um, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So and the soul that sins will surely die. So the consequences have been have already been established by God's word um, when we sin. And then one of the greatest offenses is against our brother, right? So we have to constantly be concerned about, um, and, and, and pursue a right relationship with others because that's God's will for our lives. So, so I, I, on the, on the merit of that, I wouldn't agree with that statement. I understand, um, I believe I understand the context and where, and where it's coming from. But the truth is, um, the sooner that we, we can forgive others, um, the better off it is, you know, the better off we'll be. Um, I remember, um, reading a book years ago called, where do we go from here by Ralph neighbor? It was about small groups, but in, in the small group dynamic, um, human interaction is a big piece you know just meeting together and talking um about life and going through life together um and he gives an an illustration of of unforgiveness being like a ball and a chain um but that unforgiveness is is around the the neck or the leg of um the person who refuses to forgive someone else so the person who, who the offender is running free um and the one who's been offended is in bondage and we see that in so many ways we see that bondage i know as a pastor i see that bondage played out through all types of addictions and and all types of um behavior in somebody's life because um they have refused to forgive someone who offended them someone who who harmed them physically or molested them um or 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 did something or abandoned them um and many times we carry, we carry the weight of that because we haven't been able to let them go. And when we do, we realize uh, we really set that whole situation up for God to be the one. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Um, for God to be the one to really deal with the person who has offended one of his beloved. And we are all loved by God. That, that's kind of how I would go after that.
2: All right, nine after the time of the hour. Let's go to Dr. Ed, uh, Edmonds. I got to ask him this question then. Uh, and, and using the, the backdrop of what happened at Mother Emanuel Church with we d- Dylan Roof, uh, and mentioned that the members of the church, they, they forgave him almost instantly after he mowed down, was it nine members of the members, church members? Having said that, uh, uh, Dr. Edmonds, we talk about love. Because it's kind of difficult to love a person like that who just per, just straight up hate. He doesn't know all these people in the church, and he just killed them. And all of a sudden, we're supposed to love them. Can you explain the different kinds of love, or what sort of love should we have for Dylan Roof? Should should we love a Dylan Roof who killed our people? Can you understand? How can make that make sense for me?
11: Good morning, Carl. Um, I think that there is a dynamic that is always in play when it comes down to uh, our humanistic tendencies uh, to react. And to naturally react would be uh, having a feeling of anger, a feeling of being repulsed at what had occurred and a feeling of having a desire for vengeance as if that would satisfy uh, that humanistic desire. Everything that we do is centered around uh, what we deem as fair and equitable to us and when there is a, a wrong done toward us we have an inclination to immediately, impulsively respond in one or two ways that are attached to us as being human beings. The ability to be able to bend our will to the will of God is indeed strength. And also the result that we're looking for satisfies uh, uh, that which is needful within us. Forgiveness is not for the other person. It is for us. When we do not forgive, it's like being tethered to that person or that event or that incident. Uh, And there are many cases whereas the person who committed a wrong or that which is Uh, contrary to uh, truth toward us or the correct behavior, they're going on about their business. They're not even thinking about what has happened. And if it were left to them, they'd do it again, many of them. But here, when we suffer a wrong, if we are not able to release it, meaning not uh, able to have it to uh, be emptied or void out of our being, whereas it is non-beneficial to us, then we're the ones who suffering. So uh, we have to break that inextricable, inextricable link that exists with unforgiveness.
2: And I gotta ask, we're coming up on break, but I gotta ask uh, uh, Pastor Curran Manning this question about, about forgiveness. Because uh, on the surface, it looks like it, it's a weakness. It's, if the other side knows that uh, they can step all over you. It, it doesn't have to be the oppressor, it can be your mate, it can be your friend. You could do it, and, and you're gonna continue to forgive and forgive. At what point do you say, no, I'm not gonna forgive? And how do you handle that? Because as a Christian, I guess you guys say you can forgive everybody. But my question to you, and I'll let you ponder this while we take the break, is that a weakness though if you and if you, tactically is that a weakness if you if the other side knows that he's going to give in she's going to give in at some point, so I'd like to address that uh, Pastor Kerry Manning when we get back as I mentioned we've got to step aside short break, family, you want to join this conversation with our pastors you got a biblical question, reach out to us at eight hundred four five zero. 78,76 will take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 10:10, WOLB, from the DMV on FM, 95.9, and AM. 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning, family. 20 minutes for the top there the hour with the Faith Brothers, uh, Dr. Uh, Doctor uh, J. Edmonds, pardon me, and Pastor Curry Manning, uh, the Faith Brothers. And we're talking about forgiveness. So what are your thoughts, family? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Am I wrong here? Because my question uh, to Pastor Curry Manning, is: the question is, if the person knows that you're going to forgive them, Aren't you at a deficit? With, with, with I guess in any confrontation, if you know the person's going to give up, why even why even engage? So, uh, Pastor Curran, help me out.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely hear where you're where you're going with it, Brother Carl, and and I know that a lot of people wrestle with with it. Um, but my response is um, the reason you move quickly, as I said, to forgiveness. Ultimately, the the way I look at it is because. Um, I need God's forgiveness in my life. And 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 the word of God tells us that if we don't forgive um others, our heavenly Father won't forgive us. So and that forgiveness needs to be quickly, needs to be swift because um those the consequences and that state um in between that state of that that gray area can be detrimental to our souls as I said. Um, a few places in the Scripture that we see this. The Bible tells us that um, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Right? I, when when I talk about this to people, I try to make it practical. American Express used to have this 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 slogan about um, membership has its benefits. And the first benefit in Psalm 103 it says that He forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases. I don't know about you. I don't know about our listeners. Oh, but I've, I've, I've sinned a whole lot. I've committed a lot of sin in my life. I've sinned. Um, and to know that God has forgiven all of my sins is is one of the greatest, uh, most humbling thoughts.
2: And hold that thought right there, uh, Pastor yeah. Curran. How do you know he has forgiven all your sins? How do you know he's not holding back on something you when you smoked a joint when you were a teenager or something like that? How do you know? Did he tell yeah. you?
1: Well, because I, I trust His word, I, I trust His word that says He that, that I'm forgiven. And the thing about the other piece of forgiveness is, you know, the Bible even talks about.
2: Um, wait, wait, wait! We don't do a drawback. How do you know you're forgiven, though? That's that's my question. How can you prove I, it?
1: I, I prove it by by faith in His word. I believe that God's word is true. So when His word literally says what I what I just quoted from Psalm 103, He forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. In in second chronicles he says, If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, um, that he'll forgive our sins and heal our land. Um, how do we know with another person that we've been forgiven other than to trust their word when they say, I forgive you Um, you know, we'll add a little caveat, sometimes say, I won't forget, you know, and and, and throw that um those fingers up like like a curse or something. But no, God's word is true. And when when the Lord tells me that I'm forgiven, I accept that reality, and I begin to live in that unforgiveness, and and it and it it spurs me on, right, to to also to to forgive others. You know the the parable of the unforgiving servant, where the master he owed a great debt that he could have been incarcerated over, and the and and he gave his spill, and the master forgave him. Um, and he went outside and saw somebody that owed him just a few dollars and was about to choke him out. Um, and, and and it got back to the master who had forgiven his great debt, and then he was punished for that. So we, we I need God's forgiveness. It's not a weakness to forgive. It, it's, it's, it's more of a strength. And when we go on a grand scale and we think about um, Jesus, Jesus said in his own words, no man take my life. But I lay it down. We know what they did to him. We know that that they nailed him to a cross. But Jesus is saying, I'm allowing them to do this because I've got a greater goal, and that is redeem to redeem all of mankind. He said, I- I- I'm allowing it to happen so that others can be saved. Um, you know, I remember the in my church they used to sing, He could have called ten thousand angels, and I always as a kid I was like, Well, why didn't he? I would have called all of the angels if they if they were doing this to me and and i didn't deserve it but for the joy set before him he endured these things and i believe that we are that joy so it it is it is vital that we forgive it is vital i believe that we do it um i mean so many other examples jesus even says when we when we realize that we've done something wrong to somebody we go to them for forgiveness When we realize that someone's done something to us, as soon as you realize there is an offense, there's an error, I believe your first move should be towards forgiveness. I'll stop there, but I've got another story about just how how that works and plays in my marriage with my wife, but I'll I'll, I'll save that one.
2: Okay, Uh, because I want to go to Dr. Edmonds. Dr. Edmonds, because we're talking about love and hate and and for most christians i guess for all christians you should love everybody that's what you're saying you shouldn't hate but is there a is there a middle point where you just you don't have to love them and you don't hate them is there a middle point that people can reach as well
11: absolutely i mean there is a just a understanding in humanity and the spiritual ramifications that result from interacting with someone. I mean, you don't allow anyone to walk over you. You prevent uh, certain things that are preventable. Um, So to forgive is actually responding to that which has been done wrong against us, individually and collectively. But there are preventive measures that we take as well. Uh, We don't allow anyone to uh, be in a position with us to do that very same thing to us. We place safeguards around us. And that's what we have to understand. Uh, But love itself... Goes beyond whether the circumstances uh, necessitate forgiveness or uh, whatever the circumstances may be. Love goes beyond that. Love is that vital part of who we are uh, as human beings and as those who have a connection with God. We must not assume that everyone understands. Uh, the principles of God as uh, as is similar with uh, another. I mean, people see things differently. So operating from one's viewpoint uh, says a lot about interacting with each other on this planet. But I like the way that it is placed in words in biblical scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the letter to the church of Corinth, Paul said to them, look, I may speak in different languages. I have that ability to do so, even in the languages of angels. But if I don't have love, I'm only just a noisy bell. I'm making noise. He said, I may have the gift of prophecy. You guys heard me. Uh, whereas I reveal secrets with what I understand, he says, and know everything that there is to know. I may know these things. I may have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but even with all this, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. I, I may give away everything that I have to help the poor, to help others, and I may even give my own body as an offering to be burned but I gain nothing by doing all this if I don't have love. Then he goes on to say what love is, and I think that that is important. Love is being patient. Love is being kind. Love is not being jealous. It doesn't brag. It doesn't, it's not proud. Love is not rude. It's not selfish. It cannot be made angry easily. Love doesn't remember wrongs done against it. Love is never, ever happy when someone else does wrong, but is always happy with the truth. Love never gives up on people. It never stops trusting. It never loses hope. It never quits. Love will never end. But see, all the superfluous things will and i think that that's what we have to look into particularly the times that we're living in now in this political climate it is somewhat a measurement of the end times that we're living in the measurements of that where people are are tribal more than ever before people have decided to segregate themselves, predicated on their political philosophy, their race, uh, their financial ability, and there is hatred that is in the world to the degree that people have become mesmerized with claiming a specific side, believing lies and holding them as being true. That's what and hold that thought right
2: out. there, uh, 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 Doctor. I just got a bunch of folks already want to talk to you 29 minutes away from the top. Let's go to line four. Kevin's calling us from Houston. Good morning, Kevin. You're on with the Faith Brothers.
5: Hey, how are you all doing? Um, <laughs> that's that kind of slavery kind of teaching. Turn the other cheek. Look, we have situations that happen when people were young and in the sandbox, and one stepped on another's shoes, and they never forget those folks. We're quick to jump up and forgive everyone else, but we hold those things against one another for a lifetime. Now, when you talk about forgiving and so forth, that mother and that family who has lost that child uh, because of violence, they live and suffer their entire life for that loss. And then when you go to the Bible, those were some of the most violent people that have been reverend. Those people were very violent. David wasn't turning the other cheek. Moses wasn't turning the other cheek. They were going out and they were killing folk. Now I'm not an advocate for violence and killing and so forth. I'm just pointing out what is in the book. That's not me saying this. You can read it for yourself. So, why is it they didn't love their enemy? They went out and they fought their enemies to gain their liberation. And whenever we fought for gains, we have ourselves resulted in moving forward. So, my question to you is this we talk about God and you know, God, this is the book of God. Who wrote the book? Did God actually come down here and write the book? Or was that book written by people who were supposed to be inspired by God? And I'll hang up and I'll listen to you.
2: All right. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for your question. We've got to take a quick break. When we come back, the Faith Brothers will address Kevin's question. Kevin reaching out to us from Houston. Folks, you can do the same. Reach out to us at 800 450 78 76. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. For the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM 1450, WOL, or information is power. Before we go back, then, let me just remind you that Dr. Melina Abdullah will be here uh following the Faith Brothers to we'll talk about Black Lives Matter, how that that Monica was hijacked she'll explain to what happened because what you hear about black lives matter it's not, it's not just one unit that's basically what it is but she'll break it down for us and tomorrow we're gonna hear from Temple University professor uh, Dr. Nara Dove also New York activist uh, Charles Barron and civil rights activist Willie McCasper Ricks Willie Ricks he Dr. King Kwame Ture uh, John Lewis to he help form the snake with John Lewis and also Marion Barrett. so he's gonna be here as, continuing our Black Heritage Month celebration so make sure if you're in Baltimore that your radio's locked in real tight on ten ten w o l b if you're in the dmv or on fm 95.9 and am 1450 w o l all right faith brothers you heard what uh, Kevin from houston said he said there was there's a lot of violence it, it, he mentioned and pointed out point parts of the bible so i'll let you respond to that and also pearl in silver springs wants to respond to kevin's comment but i'll let you guys go first
11: sure i um uh... I agree with the caller that there was a lot of violence in those days and in that time period, that dispensation. God had selected a people for himself, and he was driving out enemies, their enemies, across the land. And if you really want to use the term of occupation, that's what... They were doing at that time. They were occupying land. But not only that, those surrounding regions that had been established by other nations uh, sought to do the very same thing. So there was constant fighting, and God gave uh, his people victory in most of those wars that existed. And of course, David was a man of war. He knew. Nothing more than war other than his relationship with God himself. But I think the caller um, alluded to or somewhat kind of alluded to that biblical scripture itself uh, was not inspired. And that is a total different uh uh, question we'll have to take up some other time. I'll be more than happy to deal with that specifically. But I'll tell you, all Scripture was given by inspiration of God. And you right. are yet to see what is developing now. As it is developing now, you are yet to see the culmination of it. And That's where my heart is at this point in time. It is so plain around us what is occurring. And it's It's breaking my heart that uh, we do not or we're not being very effective, effective. I'm trying to figure out how to be more effective in having our people to understand and see that we're dealing with something greater than that which can be seen. And that's what I'm wrestling with and I'm asking God to reveals me. Give me something, some sort of way to actually convey that message.
2: All right. I'll hold that thought right there, Pastor. 19 away from the top. Our Pearl on line four in Silver Spring also wants to comment on what Kevin said. Good morning, Pearl. Good morning. Can you hear me? Sure.
12: Um, sure. Fa- okay, good morning to you, Mr. Nelson, and to your guest, um, the Faith Brothers. I am, uh, thank you for your show, by the way. I am being, I'm um, Waking up every day, so thank you so much. But I just want to respond to that that last caller also because if we don't forgive, and I hope that I have done that. Although I mean something happened to me some time ago, and I still think about it from time to time. Now I don't know if that means I have not forgiven completely or not, but it is important that we forgive because if God says His word is true, I believe His word, and His word is true. So. If he tells me to forgive, that means that he will handle the situation. So um, the person that talks about, the, the uh, you know, God, to me, he's just not a believer. Because if you believe God is who he says he is, the creator of heaven and earth and the fullness thereof, and that his son, Jesus, is his son, then you believe his word. I believe that the, the Bible was Holy Spirit inspired by him, although people question that. now. I don't know what man is going to write, mere man is going to write that it's one man for one wife. You know, just because Solomon in the Bible had many wives, we have to trust God and trust that his word is true and believe that what he says he'll do, he'll do. But if you don't believe it, it, won't, it will not, It will not. you know, it won't work for you as far as I'm concerned. And I remember, um, I don't know if you remember the Bias brothers, um, Lynn Byers, and I can't remember his brother's name, but his mother, because she was a believer, God carried her through that. That woman stood in such faith that she could speak. And I used to wonder before I was just submitted how could, she, how could she go through that and not be bitter or angry or even able to even stand? But when we look at things like that, that shows me that God is real. And like I said, your show is waking me up every day and I appreciate it and I appreciate the faith brothers with the saying truth and the last thing I'll say is this, a lot of people want to say that the preachers are only trying to get our money, well if some of them, if you're spent you'll do the right thing if you if you just go on your own then you'll do what you want to do but as God loves a cheerful giver if you don't want to give your money or whatever don't do
1: it you don't All have right. to do it so, Thanks, okay, thank
2: you. Car- thank yeah sure I would
1: like to i I was, I was I would like to um to jump in on this the the one thing that I took a little issue with that Kevin did say I mean he said a few different things and i'm and Dr. Edmonds really broke that down in a in a very good way um because i'm I'm more reactive sometimes when people say things um and he said that this is slavery teaching, and I just thought about that over the break, and I' was like if you're calling um forgiveness slavery teaching or slavery mentality we probably wouldn't be here if there wasn't some some type of of forgiveness that happened in the hearts of our ancestors to be able to endure i remember um reading and even talking to you a little bit about you being there when mandela was released i believe you gave one of the first interviews of nelson mandela who was enslaved for many years um and I think I and as I thought about it, it might just be a matter of perspective because some would see um unforgiveness or slavery as a weakness, but I see slavery um and some parts of it as a strength. Um and and, and I see it I say it this b- because of my connection with South Africa. The first time I went I was sitting with a white South African and two black South Africans and I turned to the black South Africans and I asked them, What do you think about African Americans? And without pausing, they said, you're our heroes. And I was like, what are you talking about? I couldn't imagine why would we be your heroes. And basically they just just explained to me the fact that we come from a people who endured slavery, and we're still standing, and we have done better for ourselves and for our children's children. We're still moving in that direction, but the fact that we have just lasted this long creates um, an admiration from others around the world in many places so I don't I don't see I don't believe that everything has to be um, a mentality that leads to weakness and the the final point is what is there to gain by not forgiving someone what is the ultimate goal or the ultimate prize of holding on to unforgiveness in your heart that's the question I think we have to also ponder personally
2: All right, 13 away from the top of the hour with the Faith Brothers, 800-450-7876. Lawrence is calling from the the Metroplex in in Dallas, Arlington, Fort Worth area. Lawrence is on line three. Good morning, Lawrence. Your question for the Faith Brothers.
8: Uh, Good morning, Carol. Before I uh, ask the Good Brothers the question, and it's real simple, I'm not going to belabor it, but here's the point. I want to make a statement. As a black man of 66, I told the listening audience on Sirius XM, the White Channel, 125 yesterday, I gave them a little bit of history about myself. I come from a broken home, number 12 out of 13. My parents were born in 1919 and 1917, respectively, mother and father. Religion...
2: As but I Lawrence, know. Lawrence, uh, n- no disrespect. But well, give us the short version. I got a bunch of folks wanting to talk to the pastors, and got yeah. tweets too, right. uh, and we we're racing the clock. So just okay. yeah, just give us the question.
8: Okay, I'm sorry to my uh, good brothers and sisters waiting. The question is this:
2: Whether it's
0: audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
8: Faith like beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. That's the statement. And i ask you a question. Pastor Geno Jennings, I've watched this brother a bunch of times on YouTube. The brother is hard up in your face, but you can't deny when he argues and puts it on scripture. He goes right to scripture and he tells it like it is. His interpretation is plain. I ask you, good brothers. What do you think of this brother's uh, position on homosexuality? I'm against homosexuality from the basis that it serves no useful purpose for the black community. We all have a right to do what we want to do. God gave us that right. But when it comes down to a useful purpose, what serves the black community best? Homosexuality has no place in the black community because the homosexuals today are not like the homosexuals in the past. James Baldwin. Was a homosexual, but he was a warrior. You had to get a brother's respect. These homosexuals today, they ain't worth the, the sweat off a pole dog's butt. That's the way I look at it. All right, let's give him
2: a chance to respond, Lawrence, because you are eleven away from the top here. Thanks for your phone oh, call.
8: I'm sorry, Kyle. All righty, go me. ahead.
2: No problem. Uh, uh, Faith brothers, anybody want to respond with thoughts about he's talking about Geno Jennings?
8: I think that was an
11: insult, really, because. Uh, Anything that God regards as sin is sin itself. Uh, But we're to love every human being, everybody. Should I not love you because you're a liar? Should I not love you because you're a thief? I mean, what you do may be inconsistent in the very antithesis of God's word, but I must love you. I'm commanded to love you. And for someone to bring disdain upon an individual, that tells me that they don't know what we're really dealing with, what the catalyst behind this is. So I think if we're going to talk about homosexuality itself, let's talk about it from a biblical standpoint. Let's talk about it as anything else. But if we're going to degrade someone in the process, I think you do a disservice uh, to mankind as far as cohesiveness that God is seeking to be developed and people's ability to be able to adapt and adopt change in their lives. So I think, I think it was not only deeply disingenuous, but... Uh, It had some shreds of of
9: hatred through
11: that.
2: We'll we'll keep moving because we have a bunch of folks want to talk to you. i got a tweet question. Let me do one of the tweeters. The tweeter says, uh, Brother Furman says, when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, was that forgiving?
11: No, it was judgment. It was judgment upon those particular nations the same way it's going to be judgment upon this nation, and judgment is coming now. Uh, the very act of committing um, those particular acts, particular that's where the word sodom, sodomy comes from, from Sodom. And for men working with men, that which is unseemly, and women with women, that which is unseemly, of course, God disdains that, and he had given them time to repent time to actually change, but they did not, and it was judgment. God will not withhold his judgment. He did not. I mean, he would not uh, uh, withhold the vengeance that is attached to disobedience. And that's for all of us. I don't care what you're doing. If it's inconsistent with God's word, if you're, firstly, if you reject, you have rejected God completely. You rejected the principles of Christ, who is the Savior. You reject all of that. What hope is there for you? What? I mean, God rained vengeance upon Sodom and Gomorrah because, Gomorrah because of their ways consistent with that which is the very opposite of what he commands, and he's doing the very same thing now.
8: That's
11: All right, hold on, I thought about
2: that. Dr. Edmonds, we've got to take a quick break. And when we come back, Larry in Fayetteville, North Carolina, has a question for, for you. Larry, we'll take your question when we get back. 800 7876 Speak to the Faith Brothers. We're returning four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Friend the DMV. We're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Keep And good morning once again, family minute after the top of the hour with the Faith Brothers, uh, Dr. Jay Edmonds and Pastor Kuring Manning. Dr. Melina Abdullah from uh, Black Lives Matter is on deck. We get to her momentarily. Let's finish up with the Faith Brothers, though. Larry, as I mentioned, is holding on line three, calling from Fayetteville in North Carolina. that has a question for the Faith Brothers. Larry, good morning.
7: Good morning, Carl. Do I have
10: time to ask two quick questions? Make them quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, you guys say you're Christians. Now, you talk about forgiveness. If if someone offends you, and they and you and you forgive them, shouldn't there be some kind of corresponding action when that person offends you? Shouldn't they try to redeem themselves or make amends for what they've done to you? And 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 also, also
11: uh, can you explain the difference, the difference between what you believe and what white Christian evangelicals believe—the the ones that support Donald Trump—and and also if there should be after you forgive
10: someone and they I, I think they probably should try to redeem themselves why haven't the white christians come showed up to redeem
7: everything or to make or remedy what has done been done to the african-americans thank you right.
1: thank Thanks, you brother larry. larry i'll just say real quickly um romans twelve seventeen: do not repay anyone evil for evil Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Um, Because it's written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. I think one of the challenges we've got to wrestle with and we've got to embrace is that um, we we have to leave room for God to, Dr. Edmonds alluded to it earlier, for God to deal with people when they do wrong, because when someone wrongs us, ultimately, when someone offends us, ultimately they're, they're offending God. Remember what, what the Lord said to Samuel when the people were asking for a king? He felt offended. And God said, no, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And when someone rejects us because we're God's children and God's created creation, then they really, they really have an issue with God. And that's what we all have to resolve at some point in our lives.
2: Uh, I know, Doctor Edmonds, do You want to respond? Can you do it real quickly for us?
11: Oh, ab- absolutely, real quickly here. Um, uh, I agree with the caller concerning, well, you know, the person who's being forgiven. Uh, they should acquiesce. They should embrace change. But we cannot control how another person responds to love or to forgiveness. The second point he was speaking about the fight. Uh, Christian uh, fundamentalists, uh, that is a movement that is predicated on separatism itself, that it states, even in uh, Christianity, that they have a corner on that. That's, that's why I, I, I love Black Lives Matter, because the statement that was made from black life matter is that our lives matter too. When there's separation that is one that's saying, well, we are entitled to this, but you all are not entitled. And that's the difference when it comes down to the white so-called fundamental Christianity itself. And that has tarnished a lot beliefs, a lot of beliefs in our community whereas You know, and rightfully so. Some would say, hey, you know, this is basically the white man writing the scripture for themselves, but not so. Don't be deceived by that. That is a deterrent by a force that you cannot see uh, the enemy. And uh, don't be deterred by that. That is just another deterrent from us actually receiving the actual truth, which is knowledge and information given by God for the purpose of dismantling supposition and erroneous thinking. Life is not happening to you. Life is responding to you. And there are forces that are greater than you can imagine that
10: you can't see,
11: that that which can be seen is being uh, the result of that manipulation and interaction by those particular forces. We are privy to that because Christ has given us the ability to be able to not only know it, but to understand it. It's one thing to know something, but if you don't understand what you know, you'll, you'll never be effective. Christ has mm-hmm. given us the ability. That's why they killed him. He's given us the ability to not only know, but to understand and to apply it. All
2: right. Uh, thank you, Dr. Evans, Pastor Kerwin Manning. How can folks reach you guys? There's a bunch of folks that are still holding one had questions for you. How can they reach you?
11: They can get me at the Edmonds Group Global, gmail.com
1: Yeah, I can be reached. I'm on um, Instagram and TikTok under Pastor Kerwin, one word, K-E-R-W-I-N, and then also Facebook and, and um, YouTube under Kerwin manning or pasadena church as well
2: all right thank you gentlemen thank you for sharing all this information with us this morning and let me apologize to the folks who couldn't get on just call them back on on friday on open phone friday you can uh, you know say what you had to say or your questions you had for the faith brothers i thank you again for sharing this information with us this morning thank you you. family six minutes after the top there dr melina abdullah good morning welcome to the program Is Doctor Melinda there on line four?
13: I'm here. Can you hear me?
2: Oh, I can hear you now. Good morning.
13: Great. Good morning. Thanks for having me.
2: Uh, first, before we get started, Johansé Gregory told you t- <laughs> he told you twice, so I'm going to make sure I get it out. So told me, tell you hi because you said you guys work together at Howard.
13: Johansé was my partner at Howard. We um, did the Kwanzaa festival at Howard together. So please give him my greeting.
2: Hopefully he's still listening. He hasn't left to go to work yet. But uh, for for the folks who are hearing you for the first time, give us a little bit of your background.
13: Sure. So I am a professor of Pan-African Studies, mama of three. I organized with Black Lives Matter, originally from Oakland, California, born in the 1970s hip-hop generation, and then went to Howard University, um, graduated in 94, and now I have... My oldest child is a bison um now, so have strong ties to d c and um just committed deeply committed. I was fortunate enough to go to Berkeley High School, which at the time was the only high school in the nation with a black studies department and so I came of age in the late eighties, early nineties again from East Oakland, where crack- crack cocaine had hit, hit really, really hard, and they were you know, there was a siege on our community, and um, my life was literally saved by Black Studies and my teacher and the chair of the department, uh, Mr. Richard Navies, who's had an impact on almost everybody that I know who's from that place and time. And um, I try to live my life in a way that honors his legacy and honors the legacy of my ancestors. So i um, very grateful to be here. I, I see a lot of my work is happening through Black Lives Matter and through what I see as the current iteration of Black Freedom Struggle.
2: All right, give us the deal. What happened to Black Lives Matter? How was it created? What, and what's the current state of Black Lives Matter?
4: Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy, Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
13: Sure, so Black Lives Matter was birthed where I live now, which is Los Angeles. Um, on July thirteenth, two 2013, everyone remembers, I always say, you know it's it's almost a Kennedy moment for black people, like where were you when George Zimmerman was acquitted for the murder of our seventeen year old son trayvon martin and um I remember exactly what happened with me that I was watching television, my children were small, um I was glued to the t v like a lot of us were watching that trial. And if folks remember, it had become evening, and it looked like the verdict wasn't going to come in. Um, And so I went and did mama things, right? I went and ran errands with my three children in tow. And as I was sitting in one of my stops, my brother called and said, "Um, where are you at? And I told him, and he said, well, sit down because you're not going to like it. And he said, um, "Well, he got off, and they're giving him his gun back." And I felt this fog overtake me and swept up my children, put them back in the car, went back home, sat on the couch um, after feeding and bathing the children, and called three other black mamas. And we all sat on the couch and decided to get in the streets. And when we went to an area of LA called Lemert Park, which is where All black people go, all conscious black people go whenever something goes down um, in black community. We went there and there were already hundreds of people in the park. And um, we participated in a march and uprising that lasted three days, um, three consistent days in Los Angeles. And on the third day of protest, we were pulled together by a woman named Patrice Cullors, who was an organizing space with me. Um, we were part of this group called the Black Organizers Collective. And um, she called us together to have a meeting. And about 30 of us, um, myself, my children, but also who I call my spirit children, students from Pan-African Studies at Cal State LA, uh, we met with Patrice and her friends, most of them artists. And we pledged to build a movement, not a moment. and. So from that day, um, we began to organize and recognize that we have to stand up for Trayvon Martin, but it's also systemic and the movement has to be bigger than a name. Many of us have been involved in freedom struggles for Oscar Grant and Amadou Diallo and Margaret Mitchell and Devin Brown and others killed by the state and killed by white supremacy before Trayvon Martin. And so our pledge was until those systems that steal Black life were dismantled, that we have to have a movement to counter those racist systems. And so Black Lives Matter began very organically and moved without money. I know there's a lot of controversy around that. Moved without money, we never had really any money until we got a little bit of money and I believe it was 2016 or 17, $250,000. We were now 40 chapters worldwide and we received $250,000 from Jay-Z and Beyonce, which allowed us to um, hire one staff member um, and then really had no other money other than that until 2020 when um, people became very generous after the murder of George Floyd. And so Patrice incorporated something called the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. I was never an official part of that. I never worked for them, never got a check from them, never sat on the board, um, but continued to organize with chapters globally. And we formed an umbrella called Black Lives Matter Grassroots which is still the formation that um, is the the on-the-ground, boots-on-the-ground work. Unfortunately, in 2021, Patrice stepped down. Um, She was enduring a whole lot of attacks from the right, and she stepped back and um, sadly um, signed over legal control to a highly paid consultant who had never been in the movement, never been even to a protest. Um, His name is Shalomia Bowers um, and Bowers Consulting. And they took all of that money. They took the platforms, the platforms, the social media platforms were ones that I largely was um, contributing to and running at the time. I had the, um, you know, the logins and was posting content up until 2021. Um, But he had legal control over that. And then he also kind of took the name, the good name of Black Lives Matter, which in 2021, people, it was deemed the most trustworthy black organization in the country and one of the largest racial and social
2: justice. And Dr. Melina, hold that thought right there. we got to take a quick break. When we come back, I want you to continue this story because this is an... Very interesting so far. When we come back that that person hijacked Black Lives Matter. First, I want I don't know if he's white or black. I want that's the first thing. But I want you to continue and tell us the story after we come back from this short break at 14 after the top. There, I'll be back in four minutes. Family you got questions about Black Lives Matter. What it is, what they're doing right now. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. We're in the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM. 1450. W-O-L where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with Dr. Melina Abdullah. She's one of the founding members of Black Lives Matter. And, 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 you know, for most folks, we just think it's one unit. She's not. So she's giving us the backstory. story. Uh, Mark Mann and I am sending some questions uh, for uh, Dr. Abdullah as well. So, Dr. Abdullah, I'm going to let you uh, finish telling us where we are now. And thank you for telling us how it all started. But I'll let you continue your story. Sure.
13: So where we are now is the BLM Global Network Foundation, which is those large pat- platforms, BLK Lives Matter. If you follow them, unfollow them. It was hijacked and stolen by a highly paid consultant who goes by the name of Shalomia Bowers. And you'll notice a shift in the language beginning in 2022, um, where you know they're talking about the Grammys, but not talking about ceasefire in Gaza. They're talking about celebrities, but they're not talking about the people who were being killed um, by police. They're citing other people's research, but not doing any work on the ground. So BLK Lives Matter is who controls all of that money that poured in in 2020. They control those social media platforms. But it's BLM grassroots. Please do follow BLM grassroots on all social media that is comprised of 33 chapters around the world and doing work like opposing police associations, pushing to end qualified immunity, immunity, standing in solidarity with the families of Trayvon Martin and um, Andrew Joseph III this weekend, who are, you know, being threatened still by police and white supremacists and refusing to back down that's BLM grassroots. And that's the formation that I'm a part of, that black lives matter, Los Angeles is a part of, and many, many other um, 32 other black lives matter chapters are a part of.
2: So the person who hijacked the black lives matter, black or white.
13: He's um, skin folk who ain't kin folk. Um, so he is um, technically black. He's also a Zionist, which is one of the reasons why he hasn't said anything about a ceasefire in Gaza. Um, he is not an organizer. He, again, is a highly paid consultant. Their own 990s in 2020 for 2020 demonstrate that he paid himself $2.2 2 million in a single year. So he's technically black. He's Skin folk,
2: he's descriptively black, but his heart is not with Black Movement. Wow, Black Zionist. So, how much money? Because we see the the money. Then we talk about we hear talk that building mansions and they're taking people's money, and you know fundamentally everybody agrees the slogan Black lives do matter. Black lives matter. So for us who are out there and don't know which Black Lives group we're sending money to, which one's really working for us? How do we how do we differentiate? So
13: the formation of the boots on the ground. This is people like me who are educators, who are bus drivers, who are mamas and babas and grandfathers and grandmothers, aunties and uncles and youth, right? We are under the banner of BLM grassroots, BLM grassroots. If you're on an email list and you get a strange email saying, give us money because, you know, of somebody else's work or you get a text message that has the word foundation in it, that is not the real Black Lives Matter. So, again, the one to unfollow is BLK Lives Matter. The one to follow is BLM Grassroots. And you can also just use your own intuition, right? If it doesn't sound like Black Lives Matter, if it doesn't sound like Black Freedom Struggle, it's not. Um, If it sounds like the Democratic Party, then it's not us. Right. If it sounds like black radical tradition, it is. That's BLM grassroots is who we are.
2: Got you. 800-450-7876. Bob's calling from Buffalo, has a question for you. It's on line six. Good morning, Bob.
9: Yes, sister. I thank you very much for that history lesson and for clearing things up. One of the greatest things we have is the power of discernment. Discernment. And you allow me to see the difference and know the difference. My question for you is your vision or your opinion on reparations, because we've been fighting for freedom ever since B.C., since before captivity. What is your vision on
11: reparations on our way to freedom?
2: All right. Thanks, Bob.
13: Thank you you so much for the call. And I do want to share that we do have a BLM Buffalo chapter. I hope that you get involved, sisters. Carrie O'Horn. And Jolanda lead the BLM Buffalo chapter, which was formed after our elders were slaughtered inside Tops Grocery Store um, a couple I know years ago. Sister.
9: She's a good sister.
13: She's a, a phenomenal sister. Thank you for knowing her. Please offer support where you can. I'm sure you are. Um, Black Lives Matter believes Black Lives Matter grassroots believes deeply in real reparations, and I say that. Because we believe in global reparations. We believe in the non separation. There's attempts to divide um, Black people in the United States from Black people globally. We got to remember Black people all over the world were harmed. We got to remember that Black people in the Caribbean came on the same boats and were just dropped off in different places. Um, We got to remember that the brain drain and the energy, the energetic drain of Africa um, caused challenges there and, you know, a harm was done to the continent as well. So let's not let these folks from the outside divide Black people. We are, a, um, we ascribe to Pan-Africanism. And I also say real reparations because California, as you might have read, um, just passed a reparations package, which um, our beautiful sister, Shirley Weber, who's our Secretary of State, was really pushing for reparations. Unfortunately, in my view, that package is nowhere near enough. They're absolutely right that reparations requires more than a check. But I believe, and BLM grassroots believes, that it does require a check, right? It requires more than a check, but it requires a check. So we're in partnership with different organizations. We've been working with people like Dr. Ron Daniels, Um, like Attorney Malik Zulu-Shabazz on um, advocating for and organizing for reparations for our people. We can't possibly um, win when we're starting the race, the economic race, um, 400 years behind.
2: All right, twenty-eight after the top there, I got some more folks I want to talk to you. Uh, Mark is listening, so he says uh, he says hello. He said i would like for you to share with the audience who was Wakisha Webo Wilson and what happened with her cremated ashes.
13: I'm so glad he asked. Um, Wakisha Wilson um, was a black mama, thirty-seven year old black mama, who was arrested on a really really minor charge, held in L.A. County. Um, I'm sorry, LAPD Metro Detention Center, um, and murdered inside that detention center. We can think of her as Los Angeles um, Sandra Bland. Um, Essentially, what happened to her is after she was killed, they didn't bother to notify her family. For four days, her mother and her auntie, Lisa and Sheila Hines, were searching for her, and on the fourth day of their search, Um, Sister Lisa Hines was given a number when she called. They answered coroner's office. Um, And so we've been struggling for justice in the name of Waukesha Wilson since 2016. One of the ways that we're struggling is demanding something called Waukesha's Law, which is a required family notification. If someone is killed inside a facility, their loved one should be notified. This is the bare minimum. Minimum should be notified within 24 hours. At the head of that fight is her mother and her auntie, who are both members of Black Lives Matter Los Angeles. Sister Sheila Hines um, demonstrated, I think, one of the most courageous acts in the history of Black Lives Matter, which was um, a few years ago as we were calling for justice in Waukesha's name and demanding that the LAPD chief, who was then Charlie Beck, step down. Um, Sister Sheila Hind threw the ashes of her niece.
9: News Talk 1450. Police
13: 15. Chief Space. Um, and he did step down a month later. So um, that's the story of Waikisha Wilson. And we invite everyone to join us in advocating for Waikisha's law.
2: All right, 30 minutes at the top of y'all. Let's go to Boston. Brother Siddiqui Cambone is waiting for us online, too. Hotel Brother Siddiqui, you're on with Dr. Melina Abdullah.
14: Yeah, I came on kind of late, and I'm going to offer the greetings to your, your guests. I, I was just looking for some uh, clarification in regards to the the origins of Black Lives Matter. Um, and what, the reason why I bring that up is because my, my understanding, I'd read the original mission statement in terms of Black uh, Lives Matter. I understand that it was uh, founded by uh, three lesbian women. And the mission statement basically stated about uh, the nuclear... The black nuclear family, and uh, the fact that there's no need for a man in the house, and so, uh, and, and the family infrastructure and what have you. So I'm just interested in terms of, of uh, you know, I respect Black Lives Matter. I'm just what led to the transition of moving from that perspective um, to what we need to do in terms of black people in our, our liberation struggle. So I'm I just looking for that kind of clarification in terms of its origin. And sister could speak on
13: that. All right, sure. Thanks, um, thanks so much for asking that question. We went into the origins of Black Lives Matter. The uh, recognized co-founders are Alicia Garza, Patrisse Cullors, and Opal Tometi. Um, there were many of us who were part of the original formation, including me. And what you're referencing is the guiding principles. And the specific guiding principle that you're referencing is one that I wrote, um, as uh, a black single mama who's received tremendous support um, from community and the actual guiding principle says that African principles are to extend, to define our, our family as ones that extend beyond the nuclear family. And so what I mean by that is that for my own children and you know, we embrace all black lives, all black lives matter, queer and trans black lives matter, And so do people like me, black single mamas. Um, What was meant by that actual guiding principle is that it takes a village. And so, for me, my children um, have, you know, uh, countless aunties and uncles that are important to their lives. And so, it meant a reclamation of the African principle of we're all family. So we know that African practice is that there's many people that we call mama and baba. There are many people that we call auntie and uncle and to awaken us to that obligation to our children, whether they're your biological children or not. And so unfortunately that was twisted and turned into an idea that we don't need men in the house and we're man-hating. It's nothing like that. It's saying that whether you're a biological father or not, my son needs you. And so please help in the rearing and loving of our children.
2: All right. Hold that thought right there. We're going to take a, a last break. we come back. Um, i got another question for Mark from Anaheim. And Marvin in Baltimore has a question for you as well. Family, you want to join this conversation with Dr. Melina Abdullah from Black Lives Matter. You get the real deal, what happened, how it started, and what's going on right now, and who should you support. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power and good morning once again family 21 minutes away from the top, topic a lot of folks want to speak to dr melina abdullah from black lives matter black Lives matter global network foundation that's the one that she works for because there's two out there there's and i got questions for you and uh a bunch of folks want to talk to you, Dr. Molina. So well, let me do this first, though. I remind folks that tomorrow, uh, Temple University professor Dr. Na Dove will be here. New York activist Charles Barron will also join us, and also civil rights activist William Lucasa Ricks. He's one of the last of the civil rights activists out there, Marjorie, Dr. King, and Kwame Ture. In fact, he was uh, one of those who helped form snake with uh, um, John Lewis and also Mayor for Life, Marion Barry. So he's going to be here tomorrow as we continue our African Heritage Month celebrations right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, let me do the tweeters, get the tweeters out of the way first uh, and Mark from Mannheim's question, I'll just roll them in one. One tweet says, who's the fake, Black Lives Matter. Mark from Anaheim's question is, please, please explain for the listeners why you think that more people do not know the truth about the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation.
13: Great. Well, that sounds like a great show tomorrow. So when you speak with Nadav, she's my hero. She's the um, basis of my doctoral dissertation. I love Nadav, um, And of course, Charles Barron is also a hero of mine. Um, so... The question about the BLM Global Network Foundation, in short, I think that more people don't know about it. And to be clear, the BLM Global Network Foundation is the fake one. It's BLM Grassroots that I'm affiliated with, and we want people to follow. BLM Grassroots is um, the umbrella uh, that uh, covers the, the real chapters and the work on the ground. Um, the Global Network Foundation has all the money. The Global Network Foundation has the platforms. The Global Network Foundation absolutely conspires with white supremacy. In fact, just last week, they planted an article full of lies in the right-wing rag, the New York Post. Um, So they're able to get their message out there because they have hundreds of millions of dollars, right? They're able to dumb down um, the work that Black Lives Matter was intended to do because they have uh, the funds to do so. BLM Grassroots is just a bunch of folks, um, black folks who are committed to doing work. You know, we're driven by people like Andrew Joseph and Deanna Hardy Joseph, who um, don't have a lot of money, but their son was stolen by police violence in Florida. And so they're committed to doing the work. Um, by people like Marquel Bridges, who leads the Mississippi chapter, who um, himself was targeted by police and is committed to doing the work. And so, you know, they have the money, but we have the people power, the will and right on our side. So we're going to continue to struggle. um, And we need. All right. So for
2: clarification, which is the one that we should be attached to Black Lives Matter? grassroots B-L-M, grassroots grassroots okay gotcha this is folks that say black lives matter grassroots a lot of confusion out there 800-450-7876 marvin's in baltimore on line three marvin you have a question for dr malina abdullah oh no no well let's go to darlene then on line two kevin
4: Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy, Only at McDonald's.
2: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Darlene?
15: Hi, good morning. Um, This is Darlene King. Good morning to you, um, Mr. Nelson. I just wanted to shout out to Dr. Melinda. Uh, from Baltimore, this is her sister and um, auntie and mama that she calls us because we're a family. I just want to thank her for dropping all the wisdom and knowledge that she has been um, given and coming to Baltimore to the World Black State of the Union at the Convention Center. Also um, dropping that knowledge to us when we we're at the conference.
13: Is this Sister Rhonda Dormius?
15: This is Darlene
13: Darlene, hi, Sister Darlene. Mm-hmm. How are you?
15: I love you. I'm just sending you love. Thanking you for dropping the wisdom. Thanking you again for coming to the World Black State of the Union at the Convention Center downtown. Um, the education was awesome. And you know, we love you. We met you in California. And how, long, how many years ago has it been with the friendship? And so, yeah, yeah. Has...
13: great to hear your voice. I'm, I'm glad so you're well. Again. And thank you for the shout out.
15: Yes, All and right. thank you for being so happy for my good news. When I was with you guys, I got my place and it was like a huge celebration, like a village.
13: <laughs> yes, yes. We're well, sending you I lots love of you. love. I'll, I'll follow up with you. I should be out there next week with my child. So,
2: cool beans. We'll
15: see you again right. soon. Okay. Peace and love. Right.
2: Peace. All right. Thank, thank you. Uh, let's keep moving. Let's okay. go to uh, Mark. Just called from Baltimore Online 3. Mark. You have a question for Dr. Lena Abdullah?
8: Yeah, how y'all doing? Can you hear me? Can you hear sure.
2: me? Sure.
8: Yeah. Sure, um, what's your question? Yeah, Dr., and I'm glad you guys are talking about um, um this subject, but you said it's a black man that hijacked um, Black Lives Matter. And, and my question is, um, like Carl said, we have so much confusion. You say they have the money. We got thousands of grassroots in the this, in this cities, you found us all killing each other and all that kind of stuff. And I was always wondering, who is Black Lives Matter connected to in the grassroots? Because I'm in the grassroots. Um, we are us. And why is that man able to just get away with that, Carl, and have all the money?
2: Well, ask Dr. Molina. Thank you, Mark. Dr. Molina, all right. how could he get away with it? And two, have you received any attack? Because you were exposing him. Have they attacked you?
13: Oh, yes, they're absolutely attacking me. So in 2022, we filed a lawsuit against them. Unfortunately, because they have all the money, they were able to use a legal maneuver called an anti-slap motion, not denying any of the allegations, but saying it's their First Amendment right to basically defraud the public. And um, so we weren't able to even get our case in court. We're on appeal right now. Um, and so we're working every way that we can to try to get our our stuff back. But if we can't get it back, we're still going to struggle. And so we encourage, um, again, everybody from the grassroots to plug in with BLM grassroots and help us build, right, help us build on the ground. Um, we're, again, committed to the grassroots. And so attacks on me have looked like, my home and my children and I being swatted by police three times, our house surrounded by um, LAPD with assault rifles, helicopter overhead, a total of three times. My attorney who's representing me on the case, he was just swatted in almost the exact same way um, two weeks ago. Um, it's looked like having guns pointed at my chest, being arrested eight times. um being dragged in right-wing media um, and, you know, BLM Global Network Foundation, that's the bad folks, right, Um, planting stories in right-wing media um, to spur white supremacist violence. I've had white supremacists outside my home now twice, um, including about a month ago. Um, And so those are what some of the attacks have looked like.
2: All right, I got a bunch of folks who want to talk to you. Sister Fahima just checked in online too, calling from D.C. Sister Fahima. Thank you for taking the-
12: my call, Mr. Nelson. Can you hear me? Sure. Um, greetings to you, Dr. Abdul, my fellow Bison sister.
13: Greetings, sister. You just said, Sister Fahima. Sister Fahima, that's, yes, that I haven't heard your voice in a couple of weeks.
12: No, I haven't. I, I haven't been. I haven't called. Um, this is not a drill. And all I wanted to say is, I want to tell everyone to tune in to "This is Not a Drill" on Facebook Live on the East Coast, eleven to one. You'll get uh, an idea of the work, the the worthy work, important work that BLM grassroots is doing. Uh, just go to Facebook Live on Saturday mornings from eleven to one. Uh, put in BLM grassroots. The name of the show is "This Is Not a Drill." That's all I wanted to say. Peace, my sister. Hate you. You know.
13: Thank you, Sister Fahima.
2: Two of a way for the tough yeah Reverend uh, Dr. Greta Willis is calling from Baltimore on line three. Reverend, good morning. You're on with uh, Dr. Malina Abdullah. Line three, Kevin.
12: Once again for doing the great work. We were in D.C. with you last year of standing up for ending qualified immunity. So continue
13: to do the great work, and we thank you. We love you, and God bless.
2: All right. Got a lot of fans out there, uh, Dr. Molina. Thank you
13: so much. We need every prayer. We need every prayer and all the support, so thank you so much.
2: All right. Let's keep moving because we're racing the clock now. Howard's in Los Angeles. He's on line five. Howard, your question for Dr. Abdullah.
8: Yeah, thank you for taking my car. I've been following your reception. Um, I, I just want you to go over that incident with Jackie Lacey. Was well, that you at the uh, knock on the door? The husband came there brandishing a, a weapon and things. Could you go over that real quick? Because uh, that was a, a turning point on people. That's what had her uh, not get reelected when she did that to you. The people didn't like that, how her husband acted anymore.
13: Thank you, Brother Howard. So, just very quickly, we had a terrible district attorney in Los Angeles County who was another skin folk who ain't skin folk. Um, Jackie Lacey refused to prosecute um, any killer cop. More than 800 people had been killed in the county when she was in office, and so we were protesting outside her office for three and a half years. Finally, when she was running for re-election, we did a wake-up call to her home. Her husband, um, this was in 2020, opened the door and pointed a gun to my chest and threatened to kill me. Um, and Brother Howard is absolutely right. People did not like that at all. And she subsequently lost her bid for re-election. Um, we now have a district attorney who's prosecuting at least three killer cops and also doing things that are um, really Helpful, especially to young black men, like um, ending the practice of gang enhancements that is bringing home lots of folks who um, who were locked up as children and remain in prison solely on enhancements, not for crimes that have been committed. So thanks for yeah. bringing that up, Brother Howard.
2: Thanks, Howard. Uh, Tyrone's on line one. It's nine away from the top there. Tyrone, good morning. You're on with Dr. Malina Abdullah.
16: Yeah, I get Again, Colin, uh, thank you for having um, this discussion and having this platform. Um, one of the things that we, it's good that brothers um, prosecuting people in that county that lost 800 people, but <clears throat> when these prosecutors, um, some of them are getting punished for doing it. One of them is the one in Baltimore City. And I mean, Baltimore City's uh, State Attorney Marilyn Mosey, who was uh, put on trial for um, basically, she was put on trial for uh, prosecuting. Uh, cookie Cops in Baltimore. It's been just about FOPs where connections throughout the system. So they're weaponizing uh, finance law, looking to, right into personal documents, and lawyers' documents, and all those other things, but things that aren't actual crimes that could be been sold out of court. I want to thank everybody that showed up um, um, yesterday and Monday um, and packed that court. Monday, the court was packed elbow to elbow with, with, with strong crowd, unified black people, and she almost, she cried. She cried when she saw all the people supporting her. So, I mean, and, and everybody's chanting, we love Marilyn Mosey when she was um, found guilty of giving her husband $5,000 and calling it a gift. Totally ridiculous. Right. It has nothing to do with public funds, it's their own money. And the government Thank you, Tom. All
2: right. Thanks, Tyrone. And thank you again to the folks out there. Real quickly, Taylor in Baltimore on line two for Dr. Molina.
6: Yeah, those guys, uh, 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 they're they, they they doing a tour around the country. They're coming to Baltimore uh, sometime this year, and I'll talk about their program and stuff like that.
2: All right, thanks, Taylor. Dr. Melina, are you, are you, is the group going to Baltimore?
13: So we don't have a chapter in Baltimore right now, but if there are um, groups that want to affiliate with CLM Grassroots, Please um, send us an email. Um, I can be reached by email at molina at blmgrassroots.org. Um, I come out fairly regularly. My baba, as we were talking about a family, my baba who raised me is from Baltimore, so I come out fairly regularly. And, of course, my child is at Howard, um, but we don't have a tour or anything like that planned.
2: All right. Before we let you go, so I thank you for giving your uh, folks and reach you. But Black Lives Matter, with the grassroots, is, is the one we we should avoid, right? Let me get correct.
13: The 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 Global Network Foundation. The um so their social media starts with B L K. They don't even spell out black, right? Um, the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation is the one to avoid. The one to follow is B L K grassroots.
2: grassroots all right got you family You you got the you got it now grassroots black lives matter grassroots i'm glad you came on and clarified because there's a lot of confusion and they're making money on this confusion dr melina abdullah thank you for thank you for the work you do thank you for standing up for our people and thank you for clarifying the differences between the, the black lives matter groups this morning
13: thank you so much for having me
2: all right that's dr melina abdullah family we're done for the day Stay strong. Stay positive. Please, please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. for Americans today.